Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face, episode 249 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield, the founder of Sifted, and your humble host for the next couple hours of excellent video game discussion. Alongside me to do that is Matthew Kyle. What's up, Matt? Not much. Just hanging with the chaos bringer here. Yeah, dude. You can see that. Yeah, so Matt has a new piece that he just added to his Transformers collection. You want to walk people through it? It is insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's a Unicron, who's the planet voiced by Orson Welles in uh, the the 86 cartoon movie. And uh, his last role, <laughs> my head. Wait, is uh, that really his last role? Like, yeah. ever? Yeah. Wow. He, re- he, re- he voiced a planet as his final role. Uh, he did it like three days before he died. Wow. And um, uh, Wally Burr, I heard Wally Burr, who's the voice director of all that Transformer stuff, tell the story that he came in. He refused to take the car they sent for him, but he did put his wheelchair in the dr- trunk of it and sent it back to the studio, then drove himself to the studio and came in and did the lines. And at one point he was doing the lines and Wally Burr was reading back uh galvatron's lines who was voiced by leonard nimoy but they hadn't recorded nimoy yet so he was reading galvatron's lines back to orson wells and orson wells stops and goes are you giving me line readings and <laughs> wally burr's like no sir i would never i would never do that. i'm reading leonard nimoy's part and 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 wells is like all right good and he, then he looks at the script and goes so you are <laughs> and then he uh That's he took his wheelchair out of the trunk and put it in his car and drove home. And that was it. And three days later he died. Wow. And Michael Bell, who was a voice actor on, on the shows, uh, you would know him as, uh, if you remember the old eighties cartoons, he did uh, Duke on uh, GI Joe uh, prowl on transformers, um, uh, a bunch of Smurfs. Uh, he, you'd know his, his voice. If you heard it, he's been in everything. He was in, uh, he was in, um, uh, Eternal Darkness. He's been in. Uh, uh, he was Raziel uh, in Le- uh, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. Um, but he uh, he's a kind of known as a prankster, jokester guy, and he spread the rumor that Orson Welles died because Wally Burr, who was notorious for really long, grueling voice acting sessions, had killed him with a really hard <laughs> voice acting session. And for Wally Burr says for said for years people would come up to him and be like, I heard you're the guy who killed Orson Welles. <laughs> and like, so oh, yeah, man. word travels fast in Hollywood and it never goes away. But um, this guy is uh, was a special Kickstarter style thing that Hasbro did two years ago and it just shipped this past month. And uh, I thought I'd put it on camera because it's like four feet across. Yeah, the perspective and, uh, is off because it's actually back behind you a good bit, but that yeah, thing is it, four feet wide, right? Very big. It's crazy. And uh, next week I'll transform it and it'll be in robot mode for next week's show. Yeah, that's the crazy part. It actually transforms into yeah. a robot. Something that large. So that'll be, uh, that'll go up in the middle of the whole display somehow. I'm not sure how, because there's a gap between my two sets of shelves. And I'm like, I put it there, but it's too heavy because it'll the stand will just sort of bow into the gap. So I think I, I need to get like a piece of wood and like paint it black and stick it there to support the whole thing. Or I haven't, I haven't actually turned it into a robot yet. I'm not sure if the robot can stand like a, you know, kind of a stride, like Colossus of Rhodes style. Um, and try, we'll try that. I just need to make sure he can't fall over because I feel if, if the earth, if an earthquake hits and this thing takes a tumble, that's the end of it. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, Matt. Like, so this thing was like 580 Ooh. 
580 uh, was like what you had to back on Kickstarter. So like with like tax and stuff, it's like 600 something. Yep. But like, you want to take care I of almost got two because I thought like maybe like this would probably be worth something. Da, 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 yeah, but I don't know. I don't want to go through the problems. This thing's going for $2,000 now. Already. Because they only made that many of them, right? Oh, my it's, God. Yeah. Then I'm like, God, I absolutely should have gotten two of them. Uh, but like that, that would have paid for what I paid for both of them and then some. So, yeah. Awesome. That's, that's the lesson here, kids. Go big or go home. Yep. Come it's- back next Tuesday at 1 p.m. <laughs> Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern to see it transformed into robot mode. Uh, definitely something worth checking out. Speaking of something worth checking out, this episode is worth checking out. For the first time, it feels like in two months, we have an episode loaded with video games to talk about and really yeah. the, really it, good it's been a long time since i felt like there were too many things for me to get to yes it's a good feeling to have um and i do want to apologize about last week so matt had a doctor's appointment that he could not miss last tuesday so we had to postpone it we we're gonna do it on thursday and then i got an appointment with the specialist i had been waiting to see for literally ever since my health issues arose and i could not pass it up somebody canceled and they called me and they're like can you come in and i was like yes um, so I do apologize for missing a week of the show. We're going to make up for it in this one. And I do have a little bit of an update on my health issues. So the day after, on Friday, I finally got in for my echocardiogram and my stress test. And it seems as if they've kind of figured out what is going on with me health-wise. I mean, it's not great news, but I don't know the extent of it yet. So apparently, and if you, for those of you who don't know, an echocardiogram is where they look at your heart in detail, and a stress test is where you run on a treadmill while they're looking at your heart. Um, And so I did all that, and they went through the process, and he said, oh, there's no major red flags or anything. Then I got the results back, and it appears that I have a birth defect, um, and I have a small hole in the wall between the left and the right side of my heart. Um, And so blood is going backwards into my heart. Not a lot, according to the results, but some. Um, And it's very common to not find something like this until you're older. Um, I guess as you get older, maybe the hole gets a little bigger and it's easier to detect. Um, So I don't know what the treatment's going to be. I don't know anything beyond that at this point. I have a follow-up meeting on Wednesday uh, where I'll talk to the cardiologist, and uh, he'll give me the details. Um, Other than that, I don't know. It does, ironically, it does feel good to finally have some kind of results on what's been going on with me. They're a little scary, I'll fully admit. Um... There's no way to know if it's bad enough. In some cases, you do have to have open-heart surgery. So keep me in your thoughts, people. I really would not want to have to go through a crazy invasive surgery like that on my heart. Um, hopefully, it's something that maybe I can do things on my end to help. Um, I will say this. I have completely changed my life in the last, like, six weeks, seven weeks. I've completely changed my diet. I really don't eat any more red meat. Um, I've cut way down on, like, my intake of, like, Coke Zero I'm taking like crazy vitamins and supplements every day, and I feel better. Um, I haven't had really an episode for a while, so I'm hoping that whatever the problem is, one, I'm glad that it's been discovered because if it goes unchecked, it could have been really bad. Um, but two, I'm hoping that you know the changes that I've made to my lifestyle will avoid, help me avoid having surgery. So I just want to keep you guys in the loop. I know a lot of you guys have been following along, and I don't want to just leave you hanging wondering what's been going on with me, but that is the latest. Um, like I said, we have a great show for you guys today. We have... Two massive games. One game that we're going to talk about right here off the top might be a game of the year candidate. I don't, I know, I don't, I don't generally like practice in hyperbole. Uh, I'm usually very measured when I talk about games, but there's a game that's made a, a very a massive impression on me. I'll just put it to you that way. Uh, and actually, Matt and I played it together, 
And that game is It Takes Two. It is a cooperative 3D platformer from Hazelight. They're the studio behind uh, games like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And uh, the lead developer on the game is Joseph F. The Oscars Faris. Uh, your mileage may vary with him depending on uh, how much you like uh, people who are kind of brash and outspoken. I think the first thing I would say is that, Matt, I am just blown away by this game. Um, mm-hmm. I, my, my expectations, and look, I drafted it in our fantasy draft. I believe it's my second alternate. Yeah, it's an old, but the good news is that your alternates are going to get in play. So yeah, I'm going to need them. Um, yeah, but and this to, is a, this is maybe the the best final pick in the history of any fantasy anything. Like, <laughs> it might be right now. It's Metacritic is at like nine point oh, and uh, I didn't get to start playing it. And what, when did we play? Was it Friday night, Matt? I think, uh, yeah, or Friday night. night. I can't remember. Thursday. It was Thursday night. Thursday That's night. Right. Um, so I did get code from EA, but I wasn't able to play it because of all the doctor stuff that had been going on. But Matt and I sat down and played it for a couple hours together. Um, and I will say this. You know, you can tell by where I drafted it. I wasn't expecting that much from this game, but wow. And I saw, like, their first reviews, and I was like, what? I'm like, that can't be right. And I started playing it, and I was like, oh, yes, it absolutely is right. In fact, I think a 9 might even be low for this game. Matt, what were kind of your first impressions of it? Um, I mean, my first impressions were, were you know, there's, sort of, there's an upping of the production value, certainly in comparison to, uh, uh, what was his last one, The Way Out? That was called the prison 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 break break game, game, yeah. Um, Which I like physically despise. (laughs) Um, So uh, I wasn't expecting much out of this either. But like, it has a nice like aesthetic to it. Um, It gets right to it, uh, story wise, Um, and then it eases you into the into the gameplay. Um, And the the clever thing about it is uh, like you know I have I have a general thing problem with with a lot of games these days where it's just like you've shown me everything you got in the first like two levels or so Mm -hmm. and now I just got to get through the rest of it with all the tools you've given me and hope that you find a way to make those interesting. This game forgoes that because, and I kind of started to feel like that because the first level is a lot of like sliding through vacuum hoses and mm-hmm. you know popping. I'm like, okay, you're doing kind of the Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, roller coaster ride style thing, and then like the next level, you get these tools yep. to play with, and I'm like, okay, so I got I got a hammer to like break stuff and hammer things, and you got nails to throw to a like create, gun. yeah, where I can yeah. I can shoot nails, you know, like to create like um you know, basically handholds uh, mm-hmm. that I could use for my hammer to swing on and stuff also like that or to hold, hold platforms in place. And I'm like, okay, that's a cool, like, I, I get it. That's a cool thing. But then at the end of the level, you lose those. Yeah. And the next level, you get a different set of tools. And that level is, you know, so it's always like kind of the, the base platforming is there, but they completely change up the focus of the levels by giving you new abilities that then change for the next level. And I was, and, and the, the, and the two tricks to that are, um, you need to make it still feel like the same characters, which yep. they do. Mm-hmm. And you need to make each tool interesting to play with so I don't miss the old one. And they did that too. Um, and it's kind of a master class in how to design this kind of game. And, <laughs> really and then they made it co-op. It's, yeah. it's like, it's weird. It's almost weird to me that like, like this is the game that should have had the cyberpunk hype, folks. Like <laughs> I know, it's like, not it's, hyperbole it's, it's, it's to so say this. It's so quiet. Like it was just like, oh, is it the game awards? And like, like they did not preview yeah. this game enough, man. Like they did not no. get the word out about no. this game enough. Um, also, to set up the story for you guys, essentially the plot of the game is uh, there's a married couple who are struggling. It appears that the wife is the breadwinner and the husband is staying at home raising the daughter, and they've decided that they're going to get a divorce and. 
The wife comes home from work, and she's like, I can't do this anymore. We need to talk to our daughter about what's going on. So they sit her down at the dinner table, and they tell her, you know, Mommy and Daddy are going to get a divorce, and, you know, we love you. The typical stuff that parents do when they're going to break it off. And uh, she goes to her room and finds the book of love and starts looking through it, trying to figure out what she can do to keep her parents together. Um, And she starts crying, and one of her tears lands on the book, and it brings these two dolls to life and transports her parents into these two dolls. And so the rest of the game are the two parents playing as these dolls. First of all, at the beginning of part of the game, they hate each other still. And it's sort of this back and forth between where they bicker with each other about whose responsibility it is to fix everything. Um, And then as the game goes on, they start to warm up to each other again. And I'm not going to spoil sort of what happens Mm -hmm. from there. But that's the premise of it. And they're forced. It's funny how they keep keep running inanimate objects in their house that – that make them realize that, like, oh, we're both kind of wrong about all this stuff. And we're both stuff. messed like, up, basically. Yeah. You know, like, the first boss that you fight is a vacuum cleaner that she had, instead of just easily fixing it, she discarded it and kind of put it in the attic. Yeah. Um, and the Although vacuum cleaner's not it. happy about it. <laughs> Although he broke it in the first place. Right, so he broke of... it, and then she was supposed to get it fixed and didn't and just chucked it up into the attic and uh, bought a new vacuum cleaner instead. And the vacuum's not happy about it. Um, and that's sort of the first boss fight. And that's how the game sort of plays out. As Matt, as Matt said, um, the, the cool thing about this game, and I thought maybe it was going to be the same case too, Matt. I thought it was going to be one of those games where they show you a bunch at the beginning, and then maybe they tack a little bit on as the game goes on to kind of keep building the skill set. But really what this game does is each level is kind of self-contained. A lot of the, the yeah. abilities that you get in one level go away in the next level, and you get a completely new set of tools. And the levels are just long enough that you start to master each one of those tools, and maybe even at the end you kind of maybe start to get a little bit tired of them, and then it ends. You have a boss fight where you use those tools to finish off the boss, and then you go to a new level where they give you a whole new set of tools. Um, now, Matt and I, when we played, we played about the first two hours, I guess it was, something like that. Yeah, together. I think we did, we did three levels. Or three, I think three levels, yeah. Yeah, so each one's about 45 minutes long, uh, give or take. The game's not especially difficult there was a couple points where so eventually the game goes to split screen and this is also very clever because you have to watch the other player's screen because they'll give you hints on what you should be doing so i could look at matt's screen and see oh there's a platform there that's going up and down i have a nail gun and i could use the nail gun to kind of pin the platform against the wall where he could then reach it and so to kind of get clued into what i needed to do i looked at his screen to do that there was another part in the game where there's like a, a rotating like weather vane, and I had a hose, and I had to blow air into the weather vane to rotate it around. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do at first. I looked over, and I see from Matt's screen that there's one platform that was hidden from me that is actually flat on the weather vane. So I needed to spin the weather vane around to get it around to him so he could jump on it and then keep spinning it so he could get all the way around to the platform that I was on. And this stuff just keeps piling on. Like, not only is it very clever in how they do it, but they really work each one for all it's worth. Some of the stuff got really hard. Like, Matt, there was the one part where you were on a wall with a bunch of platforms, and I had to shoot the mm-hmm. nails into holes to create walls for you to wall jump on. And it wasn't like, okay, I create a wall, and then you use it, and you jump on a platform, and then you wait. Like, I had to shoot the holes so that the platforms appeared while he was jumping. And mm-hmm. then it got confusing because if you hit the wrong one, it would put a wall up that would block him from getting to the platform he needed to. It's very clever. Like the scene that you're seeing right now, and um, we're trying to wire this circuit together. So I, I come over, I 
I become like the piece of wire to connect it. And I have to quickly run over and get to the other one and become the next connector. And like the first few times, I didn't realize I needed to use Sprint to get over there in time. And it's the game does a great job of teaching you all on its own what you need to do. Um, there was one part where I couldn't quite figure out. And that was one part, Matt, where you were hitting the hammer. And I think the platform was dropping out. And I had to sprint to get to the point where the platform dropped out in time before like the, the hazard showed yeah, up. Yeah, for those spinning blades. Yeah, for the spinning blades. That was the only part where I was like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And then you had to text me. I think you just said sprint. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. So then I did it. And then that very next time we, we were Because able you to hadn't had to sprint since that previous. Right. It had been like two hours like, since you had to do yeah. anything with the sprinting. But otherwise, this game does an amazing job of like teaching you the basics of each new skill that they give you. Um, and then easing you into the more complicated concepts until you're really kind of at the end of your rope, and then the boss fight comes. And then the boss fights use those abilities that you learned to help you complete the boss fights. It's really just, I'm just shocked. Like, not only that. So, Matt, did you keep playing after we played? No, I, I switched to other stuff. Okay. Well, I did. Which was playing. a mistake in some cases. But. <laughs> which we'll get to later in the show. Uh, I did continue to keep playing, and I I also thought this game was going to be like four or five hours long because it's Hazelight. They're a small studio, and like what I had played in the first two hours, I was so impressed with. It's also so freaking polished, Matt. Like the everything that you do feels right. The platforming feels great. Um, every little object that they give you to use, it just feels exactly how you think it should feel. Uh, there's never these awkward moments where you're like, oh, these controls feel janky, and I failed because of the controls. The only time I failed is when I messed up or I couldn't figure something out. And so I'm looking at the first two hours of this game, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so polished and, like, so freaking perfect. There's no way this game's going to be that long. This is a small studio. All their other games were relatively short. Oh, no. Like, I am about nine hours into this game, and I still have not finished the game. And and the other part I'll say is I also figured, okay, if it does go on longer, they're going to run out of creative ideas. They're going to run out of interesting stuff to do. No, they haven't. Like, there is so much cool stuff in this game. There are so many different gameplay styles in this game. Um, there, there's little mini games where you actually compete against each other. Um, like, there's one that Matt and I played where it's like whack-a-mole, and he had the hammer, and I was the, I was the mole coming up from out of the holes. There was like a tug-of-war thing that we did. Um, so there's literally like little vignettes um, that pop up that kind of break up the, the cooperative stuff. And they're probably the weakest part of the game, to be honest with you. And I didn't need the cooperative stuff to be broken up like because it's so flipping good. Uh, I just can't say enough good things about this game. As you get into it, there are like flying sections. There are 2D platforming sections. Um, and the other part that I would say about this, too, is another, th- another thing I would say is that I'm surprised that Nintendo did not make this game. Much like Fall Guys. When I played that, I was like, why hasn't Nintendo made this? I feel the same way about this game. Because not only is it really polished, and there's all this variety, like a lot of 3D platformers, but there's all this cool little stuff. Like, Matt, when you and I were playing, we were kind of just rushing through it. Um, When I started playing it with other people online, I started kind of poking around a little more. Because in some cases, the people I was playing with were doing it. And you can't advance unless the other person decides to advance with you. Um, which maybe some people may be aggravated by. But in my case, because some people were like, no, I'm going to look around this area a little bit and fiddle around with stuff, I started discovering all kinds of little, like, Easter eggs and hidden stuff in the game, Uh, just things that you could, like, fiddle with, where they looked like they were just a set or a prop that you couldn't interact with, and then you actually tried to interact with them, and and absolutely you could. Um, I was just blown away by this game, Matt. I 
Definitely an early contender for Game of the Year. Obviously, we're still pretty early in the year. A lot could change. But Hazelight, now, like a studio that I'm mm-hmm. going to be keeping an eye on for like years to come. Um, what do you think about the story, Matt? What do you think about the storybook guy? Um, I mean, it's moderately funny. Uh, I don't. I still don't think he's got a lot of leg to stand on for the F the Oscars statement. Because um, it's, you know... The story is not amazing. It's just sort of there. Um, but uh, it does the job. Uh, the, I thought the storybook know, guy was really freaking annoying, to be honest with you. I think he's supposed to be. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of a self-help book, so it, make, it tracks. Um, the other thing, I'm interested to see how it kind of ends because, um, like, some people do need to get divorced. Yeah. Like it's yeah, you know, like the the and and I feel like this game like you could go either way. You could kind of end it with sort of a fairy tale sort of like oh everybody you just need to talk about your problems thing or you can end it with like a more of a gut punch kind of like you know we, yeah we understand what happened but it still happened and it's you know the, the consequences are still there which to me feels like the latter is more along the lines of what the people who made brothers would, would lean do. towards. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't but, gotten you know, there yet. I don't know. Um, I mean, I can't say this as the game goes on. I want to spoil too much. But as the game goes on, they do seem to come to better understanding of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes when you do that, it shows you that maybe you shouldn't stay together. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I, I, I wonder is um, the, the puppet versions of them. Uh, she's a wooden doll and he's made of clay. Mm-hmm. And the, the clay version of him, whose name I can't remember. Her name's May. I don't remember what his name is. Um but uh, he he um, he's kind of a big big dude in uh, in the clay version and in the, the human version he's like rather like very average very yeah, thin yeah um, and I have a, I wonder if he originally was it was originally like kind of the classic like schlubby fat guy with the like the skinny hot wife earlier the in trope, their and they changed it. Yeah, and they, no, I mean in the original design of the game, oh. and they and they changed it so it wasn't quite so stereotypical. But they'd already designed the the game, the, you know, the clay character, and didn't want to change that. So that's what he makes a comment at one point. I'm like, why do I look like this? Like, yeah. not not just in the sense of like, um, yeah, why am I made of clay? But it's like, how come she made me so fat? Like, like it's because the daughter makes dolls out of things apparently, yeah. and plays was like this. They don't seem to. He doesn't think it's weird that she was making dolls of them. Um, and the mother does because I guess she, he just doesn't tell her anything and she doesn't pay attention to her child. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, uh, like it works, uh, but the star of the show is what you're playing. Like, you know, the, the, the story is just kind of a framework to hang it all on. Um, they also, uh, really need to go through their house and clean up some of this clutter. Like, cause they, <laughs> I don't know how many vacuum hoses one. I mean, my guess is that it's going to end up being kind of a dream magic thing um, because uh, it's a little like there's some magical realism here, uh, which is is nice. Like it works, and and they kind of brush up against getting the daughter's attention, but then it never quite happens because that would like force you to kind of pick a side on whether it's real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very it's clever in that way. And the whole uh, game's very clever, I think. Yeah. The objective of the game, by the way, is you want to get back to your daughter because you believe that if she cries again on the dolls, <laughs> that it will transform you yeah. back into your human form. Yeah, your goal is to find your daughter and make her cry. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you start out in this shed 
Um, and then you have to make your way across the yard and then back into the house and then back to her. And every once in a while, they do kind of cut to her and show what she's up to. Like, your your human forms are actually these, like, zombies that are in the house. Like, mm-hmm. the dad is, like, sitting at a desk, like, staring off into space. And the daughter comes into the room and talks to him. And she just thinks that he's ignoring her because he's, like, all bummed out or whatever. Um, it's an interesting concept. Um, I do not like the Book of Love personally. It, does he have an Italian accent? Is that what it is? Um, I can't tell. I, I, I think it's either. some kind of it's somewhere between Italian and and Spanish. Like I'm not sure. I did not find him funny at all. I thought the writing for him was really poor. Um, I mean, the one thing I like about him though is when he when you he shows up at the end of every level basically. So when you see him, you know you're about to get some new toys to play with. So mm-hmm. I never like dread seeing him because I'm like, oh, they're going about to flip the script again. And it's kind of like that mental trigger that like things are about to change and something cool is going to happen. But the character itself, like to me, he's the weakest part of the game. And he is kind of the the glue that holds the narrative together in a lot of ways. Um, but I like the premise of he's the game. The, uh, he's the complicating character. Like he's the he's the one who makes everything not go smoothly so that the conflict can continue. Yeah. Um, even though he's supposed to be the one who's fixing the conflict. Um, but I think he realizes I mean, they I, I need to go very... through the trials and tribulations to get everything sorted out, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, I mean, I think he's supposed to be obnoxious. Like, that's kind of the point. Um, he's supposed to be like a, 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 a parody of like, you know, the self-help guru types. Yeah. Um, you think there's a one-size-fits-all solution for everything. Yeah. Um, which is consistent with how the book is behaving so far. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's uh, he is what he is. He, uh, he reminds me of something, but I cannot quite put me my too. finger on it. Yeah, I can't it. either. Like, I can't quite figure out what it is. Um, but he has like this crazy accent, and he's obnoxious, and he's in, he's integral to the plot. Without him, the plot wouldn't work. I just don't. I think they could have got some someone better to maybe write some of his lines and things like that. And the accent, I think, is a little too much. I get it. It's like the book of love, so maybe that makes a little more sense. Or maybe his accent is French. Maybe that's what it I is. don't think it's French. No. Um, I mean, I think it's just sort of indistinct. Like, it's just an accent. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> that's funny. But what really drives this game more than the plot is the gameplay and how clever it is and how they get you to work together. Like, now you're seeing this is kind of like the third level where I have kind of this goo gun and then Matt has another gun that actually can cause the goo to explode. And if you've been watching this B-roll, you've seen how we've kind of worked together. But there's other parts that aren't in this B-roll were these like these like tanks, and I needed to fill up the tank with goo and then jump on top of the tank, and then Matt exploded the goo inside the tank and shot me up in the air. And while I'm in the air, he needs to shoot the next tank, which I had also filled up with goo, and that creates a gust of air that I land on that then propels me onto the platform. Like, that is the way this game works. Like, there's a clockwork section of the game with where I have the nail gun and he has the hammer. The hammer allows would allow Matt to latch onto the nails, spin around the nails, and then kind of fling himself forward through the levels. And from from my case, I'm looking at, it looks like a side-scrolling platformer level to me, basically. And to Matt, it looks like a 3D platforming level. So I'm seeing him from the side view. I'm like shooting nails into this gauntlet that they're trying to get him through. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, can he reach that platform? Can he not reach that platform? Uh, There's a lot of like switch flipping where one has to figure out which switches to flip at the right time and then the timing with the platforming honestly i think it would have been a lot more successful if we actually were like on voice chat matt it would we probably even the problems that we did have we probably wouldn't have had any if we were actually communicating no, but it is kind of a testament to the game's design yes. that we didn't really need it you're right we absolutely didn't need it and i'll be honest with you like 
I didn't need it for the rest of the game either. Like also, it, I, I will not. I did put my headset on at first, uh, but clearly you didn't. But I could hear you. Really? Yeah, I could hear the sound from from your uh, TV and like your like when you'd clear your throat or whatever. Like How? my headphone. Because I think the, the there's a microphone in the PS5 controller. Oh, that's so you need right. to turn I that off. I, I had turned it you. off before. I turned oh. that off a long time ago. That's I get cool. I could hear you. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> that's great. Thanks for the tip, man. <laughs> I had no idea that that was still turned on. I wonder if when it did a firmware update, it like defaulted to turning it back on. In some that point. could have been like yeah. some of those updates that changed changed like system software stuff might have reset everything to default. I don't know. Yeah. But this game is amazing. I, I'm not a huge fan of the character models in the game, to be perfectly honest with you. I think they're kind of ugly and unattractive. Um, but that's just... Yeah, I mean, they're well-rendered. But yeah. yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a giant fan of the art style. I mean, that's the other thing, too. I played this on PS5. The game looks flipping great. Um, mm-hmm. For a game that probably wasn't developed from the start for PlayStation 5 or Series X, it looks incredible. Um, yeah, and if you go back and look at footage from, like, the PS4, it does look better. Like on PS5, oh, it it's, does. It's a it's a jump. Yeah. Again, this small studio. That's what really is staggering to me about this game in general, Matt. Is this small studio has created this game. Like, there's so much imagination mm-hmm. in it, and so much creativity, and amazing level design, and the cooperative stuff. Like, again, this is something I would like to see Nintendo tackle, and I am shocked that Nintendo isn't the one to do something like this first. It is right in Nintendo's wheelhouse. I feel um, it wouldn't take a whole lot of effort to uh, do an Ice Climbers version of this. No. Actually, that's a good IP to kind of attach to it, actually. That would work out really well. Um, but it takes two. It's available for PC, PS4, about everything. PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series consoles. Um, I would recommend this to everyone, Matt. Mm-hmm. Like everyone. Uh, I realize yeah, this I mean, as long as you have someone to play with, uh, um, it helps. But. Yeah. I mean, I realize this is this ga- kind of a game that just, like, floated under the radar. There wasn't a lot of hype around it. They only released, like, two trailers for this game before it came yeah. out. Like, the EA really dropped the ball on this game, in my opinion, I think. Yeah, it seems like they didn't know what they had. Yeah. How do you not, though? You can play it for an hour. Like, I, literally the first level, I was like, whoa, okay. Like, I think I texted you after we furnished the, finished the first level. What did I say? I said something like, oh, okay. Like, that's <laughs> that's better than I thought it was going to be. And then it stayed at that level and it just kept stays there for the entirety of the game. Um, I'm just yeah, you really said, You said, okay, this is pretty awesome. Yeah, after the first level. Um, mm-hmm. And it just stayed that way and just kept being great. And again, I haven't finished it. I don't know exactly how long it is, but I'm nine hours into it and it's still going. So it's not a little short, like indie-sized experience. Um, Hazelight, on my radar now, Matt, is a developer for me. I'm going to keep an eye on going forward. I just... I'm blown away by this game. I really am just, like, completely shocked. Think about how much EA promoted Unravel. Mm -hmm. Think about that. How hardcore they went into showing that at all their press stuff. And, I mean, granted, you know, those things aren't happening right now. uh, So that may have had something to do with it. But Unravel had, like, eight trailers by the time it came out. EA was all over it. And this game, it's just like, it's like EA sent sent it out to die. Like, I don't get it. But... The reviews are legit. Um, that those scores that you're seeing, those are not wrong. It is, in fact, if anything, some of them are kind of low. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm thinking maybe something happens at the end that people didn't like about the plot because, and maybe it's what you said, Matt. Maybe what you suggested because most of the people who are dinging the game are like, "Oh, the story ended up being like garbage," and I haven't felt that at all playing through it. So 
Maybe something does happen at the end that kind of changes things a little bit. Maybe they're trying to ensure a sequel and they found some cheap way to try to do that. Uh, maybe they just yeah. separate or something. <laughs> like it's they, 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 they get a divorce and then the kid turns into a doll and <laughs> then, then it ends. Uh, that, that, that'll, that'll be a good. We're not thing. spoiling anything, people. This is not what happened. Well, maybe it is, but we're making this I don't up. Know, like, we're, these guys. <laughs> we're, not you, we're not trying to tell you that's what happens with the game. But yeah, I uh, wouldn't think that there's a that there's a big cliffhanger or anything. I, I don't. I don't think Hazelight's under the impression that they get to make sequels too often. But like, um, I mean, they, they might. Make a sequel to this game. Uh, it'd be a hard follow up, really. Um, I guess you could do. I you do like a Life is Strange thing and just do two different duos of people. Like you do, I guess you could do like best friends, or you could do uh, brother and sister, um, that kind of thing. You do it like a like a cat and a dog. Yeah. Like you do pets. Yeah. Um, and like they don't have to become dolls of themselves, but like there's a you just kind of got to find a, a magic a magical realist premise to do it with. Um, I I mean I think this one works. It is funny to me that like there's this weird wave of like shrunk people games. Yeah. Like, like that, that seems to be a trend right now game. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like things, small things running around everyday objects is like a, a and thing that is now. The whole premise of the game is it's small people, big world. Yeah. And we have had a lot um, of that lately. Yeah, but I mean, it's definitely they do a great job grounded. of it. It's, it's magical. Like I really felt like I was playing something special playing this game the whole mm-hmm. time I played it. Um, and so hopefully you guys give it a chance. I know some people are like, oh, that means that looks too cutesy for me. Give it a chance. I, I will say this. Um, I think you're right. It's, it's going to be in the Game of the Year conversation. That dude's going to be insufferable uh, at the Game Awards this that's year. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. And, like, maybe he earned it, but woof. Yeah. Woof. If, we, <laughs> if, if he was like that after his prior games, after yeah. I mean, the Brothers was a really good game. If you can right? be that way after a way out, yeah. what are you going to be like now? Brothers is really good, though. It's oh, not, Brothers is great. It's not on this but, level, but it's no. Pretty damn good. So, like you can see, Brothers is uh, a predecessor to this, yep, though. Absolutely, more so than a way out. To be perfectly honest with you, yes, yeah. But a way out is um, garbage. Like I, I hate that. I really hate that game. I don't like the way it looks for sure. No, I don't like the way it looks. I don't like how it it's too slow. It's it's it what leans I'm on the split. About is how the it leans on the split screen stuff too much. This one does not. This one uses the split screen as a mechanic, not yep. as a crutch. Um, the cooperative play in a way out. It's, this is like a whole other league. Like, yeah, it's shocking to me that this team made this game. It just really well, it's is. a different. You know, this is a different game. You know, the, the way out is pretty much like an adventure game. Yeah, um, with some a couple action elements here and there, but like uh, this is like straight pl- is straight classic platforming most yep. of the time. The only thing I would worry about is like this is like a game I would put in almost anyone's hands, but like. One of the reasons we were able to do as much as we were with no voice chat is because we've been playing video games forever and like we can pick up on the language that the video game the wants clues. us to do. Yeah. And like, I could definitely tell there's a certain points where I, I, I know people, I, there are people I know who I know would love this game, but would not notice that there was a nail hole on that platform right. to stick it where it needs to stick. And that would need to be told to them. Yeah. Cause there are um, moments where like, I was surprised myself when I picked up on stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, you just see that like the, little icon and be like, Oh, I need to peg when the platform comes up. I need to peg it to that yeah. piece of wood. So it'll and there's stay an, there. There's an elegance to that. Yes. In this game. You know, they, they do it very, very well, but you have to know the language. Yep. And like, even um, so, without so the be ready to, to help someone if you're playing with like, you know, someone who's not as well versed in platformer games, you you might need to nudge a bit. 
But uh, I think just about anybody would have fun with this. Yeah, and even without the voice chat, we we found ways to give each other clues. Yeah. Like, like you could there just... was one there's a boss fight where like the 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 guy has to get on a on a shovel so the, the, the so may can uh, spatula so may can hit the thing with a with the hammer and flip him up so he can shoot something yeah and you didn't do it the first couple times so the, the so third time i just stu- i stood on the spatula and just jumped up and, down. <laughs> and i was like okay that's what i, I gotta know. do and sure enough next time boom i get shot in the air uh, it's really great. I really had a good time with it. I'm still having a good time with it. I'm not quite done with it yet. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, if you, especially if you like 3D platformers, this is the best 3D yeah. platformer I've played since probably Super Mario Odyssey. And if you have Game Pass, you already have it. Oh, it is so, on Game Pass. It's on EA because for, for the EA Play thing. Oh, I saw. Wow. I saw. It, I haven't installed it, but it said free or whatever. And there's on, still uh, that deal going right now where you can get Game Pass for a dollar. So if you haven't jumped on that yet, this is worth the dollar and then some. Like, I would buy this full price, no question. Like, I would recommend it full price, no question. Uh, if you can get it free on Game Pass, go for it. Definitely worth it. You'd be like, damn, Game Pass is flipping awesome. Uh, so there you go. It takes two. Again, it's on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series consoles, and PC. Now, it's oh, and to- also, if you uh, if you do the friend pass thing. Oh, yeah. I forgot um, about that. You can do, like, the thing where you, you get a... Uh, clip. What is it? It's um. Other people can play it without owning it. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's only on the if you have the premium EA Play thing. Never yep. mind. But but um. But other people can play it without owning. But the you game. but friend, yeah. The, no, if you want it free, it's only part of the EA Play friend pass thing, which is part of the the game play thing now, game pass thing now. So that you need the deluxe super ding. Okay. But uh, the friend pass thing, you can see it on the main menu. It says like you know in, like invite a friend to, to try it or whatever mm-hmm. but if you both do that it's basically a free demo for both people of the first level okay all right after uh, which you will almost certainly buy it i would yep, think absolutely yeah after that first level again i texted you that i was like whoa <laughs> very pleasantly surprised by this game uh, so there you go it takes two uh next up we do have a couple topics in this episode um, that were originally, and I had, by the way, I had put together an entire episode for last week, <laughs> but I ended up cutting most of the topics, but there's a couple that we still want to talk about because they're kind of big stories. Uh, one of them is Bloomberg, once again. Boy, since Jason Schreier went over to Bloomberg, it is just a waterfall of gaming information all of a sudden. I'd be interested to see if it's actually driving people to subscribe to Bloomberg because they're breaking big stories, but there's only like one every two weeks, one every three weeks. Um, and I'm sure they brought him over there for that reason, you know, maybe they do want to just drive traffic and you do get what three free stories a month on Bloomberg before you have to pay or something uh, like I that. I think so. It seems like I've been able to read all Jason Schreier stories for free from, yeah. from Bloomberg because I, had, yeah, I don't go to Bloomberg that much. Yeah, other really. one, that's the only reason I go there. So I go to see his stories. I do get to see them usually, uh, but he's been breaking all kinds of stuff. Um, and the latest to come from Bloomberg is more details on the new Nintendo switch which people are still calling the Switch Pro or the Super Nintendo Switch, whatever you want to call it at this point. Uh, Switch Pro seems to have been the nomenclature most people have decided to go with for whatever reason. Um, and the new information... Which is definitely not what they're going to call it. I mean, that's... Yeah. I, I still have no idea what they're going to call it. They may just call it, like, Switch 2 or something. Who knows? I mean, it would be smart instead of them trying to reinvent the Wii, although Wii U didn't work all that great for They'll them. probably call it, like, Switch Plus yeah. or something. You know, some, you know, or new Switch or... Switch eye, I don't know. I switch. Who, who knows? Like it'll be something that you're like, really? Oh, fine. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll say Pro is thing. already what PlayStation used. I don't think they're going to ape PlayStation like that. Yeah. One thing I will say though is I am I have been playing a Switch game 
over the last like week, and I'm sure you guys can guess what it is, and we'll be talking about it later on in the show. But I will say that I'm pretty freaking impressed with what that little Switch can do, Matt. Like, there was sometimes I was playing Monster Hunter over the last week where I was like, dang, like I looked over at that little box sitting underneath my television. I was like, man, you're doing all this? Like, how do you do it? Like, it's pretty impressive what the Switch has been able to do with the form factor and the size and everything. And that little Tegra chip, it's just, it, it's pretty shocking to me what they've got out of the Switch already is what I'm getting at. Um, it, the games have ended up looking far better than I thought. And I would say that, like, games have progressively looked better during its life cycle. So developers mm-hmm. have learned to write to the metal a little bit and make the games look better over time. Monster Hunter Rise, definitely another example of that. Um, but rumors are starting to swirl now about, okay, if Nintendo's new Switch or the Switch revision is going to be 4K, how are they going to do it and still make it a handheld? Because you can't. I mean, there's a reason why GPUs on your PC that can run games in 4K are like this freaking big. And it's just the GPU. So how do you squeeze that down into a small form factor where it's still a handheld? And even despite what we learned, Matt, I still kind of question how Nintendo's going to do that, to be perfectly honest with you. But the story that Bloomberg broke is that NVIDIA is going to be using a brand new tech called, well, it's not even brand new, but one of NVIDIA's newer technologies called DLSS. DLSS stands for Deep Learning Super Sampling. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Whatever that means. Um, And essentially what it is, is it's an AI-based, man, how do I even describe this? It's so crazy. Basically, you're using an AI to create the 4K picture from a lower res picture. Yes, and it, it's it's sort of like how they can use you know like how you use uh, like AI um, AI generated texture high res texture upgrades. Yeah, it's like that. And AI basically learns like oh if this looks like this it should look like this at this higher resolution. So I'll just make it like that. It's a predictive technology. Yeah, which it's is a, it's crazy. A, it's a and it's a power wise. It's a very cheap solution. Yes, not monetarily, but in terms of like. The power it takes on the chip, it's a very it's cheaper, much, much cheaper than just making a chip that is powerful enough to do it natively. Yeah, it essentially can up res an image without no hit on the frame rate or mm-hmm. minimal hit on the frame rate. Um, if you really start diving and without into it, the uh, the checkerboarding problem that yes. you see from from you know mixed resolution things or whatever, <laughs> it's a it's a good solution. It makes sense for if you don't want to like go all in for a more expensive. Um, well, relatively more expensive uh, power solution. It makes sense for for a Nintendo version of this, like that. That that that. It's a perfect tracks. match. It's a perfect marriage, really. If you're trying to create yeah. a really powerful handheld, this is exactly the technology that you would want to use for it. Um, some of the so, some of the more technical details. Um, it varies by game engine how well it works. And mm-hmm. it has to be implemented on a game-by-game basis. So when they launched this for PC, there were like four or five games that worked. And slowly over time, NVIDIA has kind of fed these game engines and these games into its algorithm. And the DLSS has processed those games, and then they will release it for those games. Which brings up interesting questions from Nintendo's perspective. If they're going to have to do that for every Switch release, how long does that process take? Does it is going to cause any kind of impedance on releasing games in the window that Nintendo and third parties hope to release those games in. It could be an extra stumbling block to releasing games timely on Switch if games have to go kind of through this process before they can be released. Do you think that could be a stumbling block for Nintendo at all? No. No? No. Do you think you just account for it in the development process? 
I think it's a separate thing and I, it's not that intensive. Like you're not going to be able to have to stop the release of the game because it doesn't support the DLSS thing. Um, my guess is that it, when they launch this thing, all Nintendo stuff will, will work with it. Um, probably all the major third party stuff will already work with it. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a particularly intensive thing. I mean, the only question I'd have is Nintendo's own engines. Cause obviously those have not been used uh, on this before. But presumably, if Nintendo's planning this for its own hardware, they've already been working on it. So um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty adaptable tech. I don't think I don't think it would would hold anything up. I mean, you might you might have some problems with like the shovelware mobile crap that clogs the eShop that like doesn't support it properly. But who gives a shit? I mean, Nintendo will give a shit. I think. Yeah, but like that's going to be on them. You know, that's but that's going to be like work with I think NVIDIA on like, all that stuff. I think it's gonna be like Microsoft and their, you know, backwards compatible stuff. Like it's just something they're gonna do in house, and you know, nobody else needs to worry about it. Um, another thing is that it works better with games that are reliant on the GPU versus the CPU, hmm. um, which makes me think that maybe the architecture for the Switch Pro or whatever the hell it's called is gonna be driven by the GPU versus the CPU, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how. I mean, I guess if as long as you have a CPU at least as powerful as what's in the original Switch, that shouldn't be an issue. As long as it can run the original Switch games without any problems, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question remains: like, is it is is the hardware going to be any different other than that DLSS thing? Like, you know, it could just be a Switch with that bolted onto it, basically. Because so, Digital Foundry has done some great pieces of content on this, and I, I encourage you to go to Sifted.net and take a look at some of that stuff. Um, and I'll I'll tell you, Matt, like some of the stuff they were. Upresing from 540p to 1080p, and it looks astounding. Mm-hmm. And some, I think, I think there's there are a couple Switch games that run at like 540p. I think it, mm-hmm. one of them might be the first Doom or something like that. Yeah, the first Doom runs real low. Not all the time, but sometimes it drops real low. Yeah. Yeah, and like that that jump is like literally like mind blowing. What it can do with a fight, and then you start thinking about like. You take a what about a 720p signal? What can it do with that? You know, if you're just mm-hmm. upresing it to 1080p, the the X factor becomes: Can this new switch do 4K reliably and at a place where people actually would want to utilize it for that? Um, because you go from like 540p to 4K, then I wonder if you're going to get the kind of results that you know Nvidia expects. That's a pretty big leap for any technology to try to account for. Uh, so I wonder how effective it will be if they're trying to market this as a 4K platform, as a 4K switch, so to speak. Um, and then also they said that things that um, the three there's a, so this is 2.0 DLSS 2.0. They're saying rumors are flying right now that DLSS 3.0 could help any game as long as it has temporal anti-aliasing, which mm-hmm. pretty much most games do at this point. Um, so it sounds like the technology that they're working on that maybe would come with the launch of this new Switch might be available to where, you know, if these games have anti-aliasing already in them, it may be able to just help them organically without having to do a lot of extra work, which would be a boon for Nintendo. Now, another thing to keep in mind is there are there are some drawbacks to this. For instance, one of the sort of side effects of using this technology is an effect called haloing. And that's basically where objects have sort of a very fine white edge around them. I kind of mm-hmm. complained about something that Nintendo does intentionally uh, with Mario lately, which is like that weird white glow that's around him. 
well, this actually appears in any game that would run the DLSS if you're really pushing it to the limit. If you're going to like a 540 to a 1080 or even worse, a 540 to like a 4K, it becomes even more defined. Um, But if you're Nintendo and you're like, how can we not lose the unique selling proposition of Switch, which is the fact that it's a Switch. You can play it on your TV or you can play it handheld. If, you, if you're worried about losing that, what's the best thing that we can do to keep that functionality and still make our games look much better in the case of old Switch games and in the case of new Switch games, make them look mind-blowing, then this is really your only opportunity. I mean, I don't know how else you can do it and still have mm. a form factor where the handheld doesn't weigh like four pounds or something like that. Yeah, this, I mean, this is... Outside of actually putting decent hardware in the thing, this is about all you got. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think there will be a, a noticeable line between games that were made knowing this tech was going to be there and games that predate it. But I would imagine the stuff that predates it's still going to look pretty good. Like I, I imagine Breath of the Wild is still going to look pretty damn good at 4K, even even then it, though it wasn't designed to look that, look be in 4K. Well, that game's big issue obviously is it really is a frame rate. Frame rate and also, I you know the which is the, what this helps more than anything. <laughs> yeah, well, it will help. Uh, it also has a lot of draw distance problems, and it also has a lot of uh, ground clutter problems in terms like pop in issues. Like it's it's um, there's a lot of problems in Breath of the Wild visually. It's it's designed for weaker hardware already, and the Switch can't really do what it needs it to do. Um, I don't know how much of that will be solved by you know throw, running it through DLSS, but like. There's probably some stuff you could tweak, but it's going to look better. You know, higher resolution generally doesn't hurt much. Um, you know, you can run Super Mario 64 at like 4K and it doesn't look terrible. Um, but uh, it's it'd be interesting. It's a good reason to put those old games back in again. Now, Matt, the, another thing that's been brought up about this and an issue that may be an issue for Nintendo and for consumers is that word on the street is that it could cost $400, this mm. new Switch, in order to have this technology be a part of the hardware and actually to have enough hardware so that this technology will work. Because typically it's a part of RTX. Um, it's GPU tech that really generally has only lived on PCs up until recently. Um, how do you feel about that, Matt? If you're getting a $400 console, do you feel like that console should do 4K natively instead of having to use some kind of a hardware trick to get there? I mean, however you get there is however you get there. My issue would be, you know, like you said, frame rate what you can do in the first place. Like if you're only a hundred bucks less than a, than a PS five, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Like how much do, how much do I, you think I value the, the handheld thing, which for me is zero. Um, I mean, it's not that much more than a, a regular switch, but you're really crossing into the next gen console territory there. And uh, if you already have a switch, you know, it's really going to depend what this thing does, what the improvements look like and how improved they are. You know, like, like if you really, if you, if there's a power bump in there beyond just the upscale, you know, the, the DLSS upscale of 4K thing, if these, if the games run better then like, yeah, I'll think about that. But if it's just the same hardware with a, with an upscaling trick, basically, uh, no, probably then not. The, the question becomes, if this is true and the new system's going to use DLSS, do new games start being built with this in mind? And does, I would have to think so. And does that then leave sort of some of the old Switch people in the dust? I don't see why it would. So you think they would downscale it then for the the OG Switch? 
No, I think you just build them with an with an eye to that you know you can do this now. Scalability. So you make so you make sure that there's something in there when you test it with the stuff. You basically make sure that the the AI knows. You know, you can tweak how the AI does it. Basically, like you know, like you can't really tweak what the AI does with something that already exists too much. You can, but it's you know, but if you can build the game from the ground up, knowing it's going to do that, you can kind of you know, I, I think you can work in harmony and come up with something that maybe looks a little better than what wouldn't, but you're still dealing with something that's running on the same hardware, you know, in terms of like, if you, you know, the old switch hardware would still be comparable, I think, unless this thing has more, you know, GPU and CPU boosts in it than we're aware of, um, which I can't imagine it does. doesn't seem like, you know, this seems like a way to solve the problem of not wanting to put more powerful hardware, you know, raw hardware in it. I'm just wondering if it would convince Nintendo to keep developing games the way it has and just relying on the DLSS to just upscale it instead of making Metroid Prime 4 have a lot more detail than you would normally have in a Switch game, um, basically utilizing the new hardware to make it look better. If they're just like, you know what, we're just going to make Metroid Prime 4 like we made all our other games for Switch and we're just going to rely on DLSS to just up-res it. Um, I think that's the whole point. Yeah, isn't that disappointing though? I mean, none of it still looks good. But if it's four hundred dollars, like, I don't know. See, to me, I would expect if I'm you're spending, also paying for the slightly minusculely larger OLED screen there too. Yeah, that's another part of it that's going to jack up the price on it, which I think a lot of people will appreciate having that better screen and for handheld mode. But I just wonder if you're going to hold back games like Metroid Prime by using this technology instead of just having legit hardware that can run natively at 4K. Like, well, I, we were never going to get hardware that can run natively at 4K from Nintendo. Like, that was not in the cards. Like, so ever, the, you think? You think we'll never get a 4K console for Nintendo, except, like, six years from now when they can legitimately do, a, like, the technology to a place where, you know, natively you could create something as small as a Switch and run something in native 4K? Yeah, that's pretty much what I would That's expect. really disappointing. <laughs> that's Nintendo. So then my question becomes, Matt, like, do they need to do this? Because... They can't, they're still selling Switch as fast as they can make it. Like, I just... I don't know. I got I got This, this... I mean, I guess, it. you know, clearly you're playing stuff today, and, you know, and it's just, you know, even playing Bravely Default 2, it's just like, why are you chugging yeah. in the frame rate in this game? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you need an update. And if DLSS can smooth that out, great. Um... Would it be better to have actual powerful hardware in a new Switch? Sure. Maybe they're doing that. We don't know yet. Um, my guess is they're not to keep the price down. And this is their solution to make it look better without actually, um, you know, breaking the bank on a massive hardware upgrade. But the Maybe look we'll get a massive is, hardware is upgrade on what? The look better is relative, though, because you're not getting like more detail in your games. It's just. But you are if you watch the DLSS. Like, that's the whole point of DLSS is it does make up detail. Like, you wouldn't know the difference. The idea is that with DLSS, you won't know the difference between. You know, AI upresed and something that's running native. When and I say obviously detail, it's not I mean perfect. you're not going to have more trees in the forest. You're not going to have like more detailed character models. They're the same character model. They're the same trees. They're the same amount of trees. They just look better. Is my point. Yeah, but that can be enough. Um, I, I've never For $400, played hundred dollars though. I don't know. I haven't played a switch. I, I don't. Have, I haven't played a switch game and thought like I wish that had more trees in it. Like it's just not a thing that I'm worried about. Uh, I just want them to run better. Um, and maybe this will help. Maybe it so won't. So you've just I don't know. sort of acquiesced to the idea that Nintendo products are just not going to be as detailed as things yeah. that you buy from the competitors. I mean, that's how it's been for 
15 years now. I guess it has been about so, 15 yeah. years now. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm, I don't like it, but I've accepted it, you know, like that's the best I can put it. I'm going to fight the power, Kyle. <laughs> I, I, the other part that concerns me is like releasing this kind of half step up that uses this kind of magic trick to make it work. Does that delay ultimately getting the legit 4K Nintendo console where things are built with 4K assets and textures are 4K and there is more detail in the worlds and things like that. Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think whatever their next system is going to be is probably going to be some slightly underpowered and mildly disappointing attempt at that. Um, I think this is just a stopgap. I think this is just something else to put in the, put in the pipeline while they while we wait another two years for a real Switch 2. What do you think happens to the pricing of the OG Switch when this one comes out? Does I it drop don't or do know. they keep I, it the same? How much does it cost now? I think it's three hundred still. It's still three hundred. I think so. I don't know. Maybe they drop it at two fifty and call it a day. Yeah, because they look they're still selling them at that price. Like it's hard to argue that they should drop the price of the OG Switch. I think they might. Maybe only twenty five bucks or something like that. Yeah, three. Yeah, three hundred. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like you probably don't need to drop it. Like it's it's selling fine. If you want one, you're kind of stuck with it, right? Or maybe like if you, you can... don't drop the price, that compels people to buy the four hundred dollar one because they're like, well, I'll just yeah, spend it's an only extra hundred bucks, bucks more. <laughs> you, and you hope no one realizes it's only hundred bucks more to get a PS five. But at the same time, no one can find a PS five, so who right. gives a shit? Uh, at the same time, probably no one will be able to find this either. Um, yeah. So, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't need to drop the price of the of the main regular Switch. Like, I don't know. Like they they didn't they didn't get too aggressive about dropping the price of the different versions of the DS when that happened. So that seemed to work out okay. Yeah, I mean, as I said, they still can't make enough. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw a Switch when I went into like a Target or a Walmart. Like I've never, I I can't remember maybe, the last time I looked. Yeah, but, but I can't remember ever seeing a big pile of Switch at a retail. I, I'd have a few times, but that was like two years ago. The most I've seen is like four or five. Like there was a doldrum section where like, you know, sometimes around like, I think around Christmas 2019, there was like, you know, they had stacks and stacks of them in the behind the counter at uh, Best Buy, um, just like everything else. But uh, yeah, it's, not, it's getting a switch wasn't hard until the pandemic started. And then suddenly everybody decided they needed that and, and an Animal Crossing copy, mm -hmm. um, which is fair. Yeah. yeah. But uh, about a year since then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm gonna need to see what this stuff looks like to before I make a decision. Like, I have wanted obviously a switch that runs better in docked mode. Mm -hmm. um, if this delivers that, I'll consider it. But 400 bucks is is a lot for something that really seems like it's gonna be a. a I mean, a, does a Nintendo baby, even a, keep manufacturing like the OG Switch? I mean, does it just stop manufacturing it? I mean, I don't, I think you do keep making it. Um, Unless this is like a move to really start to associate Nintendo with with 4K, like, and they want to phase that out, I don't see that really happening until their next system's ready. Like, I can see this. I, my guess is that that whatever the Switch Two or whatever they end up calling it is going to be ostensibly 4K ready, probably in the way that the PS4 and the, and the Xbox One were. So, like, not really, but like you can get there if you're lucky, sort of thing on certain games. Um, and uh, maybe integrating the same DLSS thing to, to give it a more stability because the others, the previous consoles didn't have that. Um, you phase out the old Switch, you make the new, you know, the Switch stopgap thing. The Switch Pro becomes the, the the new kind of lower end model, and you just sort of um, 
that's your brand from now on because everything's everything's still compatible you know yeah. like you just slowly upgrade you know just, just like everybody's doing now like so, you know this one's better you can still play this on this one though but this one's better they all use the same games you can transfer all your stuff it's fine whatever you want to do i'm just and really nervous that. that it ends up holding the software back and that they all are just og switch games that I think that's rest. exactly what's going to happen. And I think it doesn't hold anything back because this was never going to be their next system. It was never going to be a big hardware upgrade. It's just, you know, if this didn't exist, we would just get regular Switch games until the next system's done and ready to come Which out. Which again makes me ask why. Then why do this? Like, um, Because it looks a little better. Yeah. That's all. And the, and the, and the screen's better. going to look better because the LED... Um, because the OLED uses, uh, is a more efficient, uh, display, you'll probably get more battery life out yeah. of handheld mode. Like there are other benefits to it. Um, they're not benefits that benefit me, but, um, you know, if you, if you say like, okay, it can, it can hit 4k pretty reliably in docked mode. It has a slightly larger and better quality screen and it lasts another hour on, on one charge. Like that's a pretty good sales pitch for someone who yeah. uses the switch, you know, in in both its forms more often than I do. Like that's not bad. Which leads me to believe that they might stop manufacturing the original version of it. You could get away with phasing out the old switch after a year or so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there you go. At a certain point, also the, at a certain point, the difference is is splitting hairs to the point that why are you going to want to make consumers have to d- make that decision longer than you have to? Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. So there you go. That's the latest on the Switch Pro or the Switch U, (laughs) if they dare. (laughs) The Switch Up, whatever you want to call it. Whatever they end up calling it. That's the latest update. Call it the Switch Up. I bet that we call the Switch Up. That's possible. Because you're upscaling. That's actually a pretty good idea, now that I think about it. Uh, The other word about it from Bloomberg is that it's coming this year, before the end of 2021. So um, maybe it's going to coincide with that release of Breath of the Wild 2, Matt. No. (laughs) And bring home another fantasy team victory for me. (laughs) I mean, there's got to be something coming out this fall, right? Yeah, they have to. Not have just another Pokemon game. Yeah, yep. So we'll see. Uh, but that's the latest, and uh, when we get more, we'll be sure to update you. Now it's time to move on to a game that I'll admit confused the living crap out of me because it uses a word in its title that I always associate with Batman. Uh, but in this point, in this case, it is not Batman. This game is called Arkham Horror, and mm-hmm. I guess my first question to you, Matt, is. Batman, I guess, doesn't own a copyright to that. No. And what does it mean in the context of this game? And it's uh, actually based on a tabletop game, right? Yeah. Well, okay. For so, Batman takes Arkham from this. Oh. Okay. Um, this is this is a HP Lovecraft game. Okay. And HP Lovecraft is where Arkham and everything Arkham comes from. Uh, Arkham is a uh, is a town in Massachusetts where a lot of horrible, monstrous, cosmic horror stuff happens in H.P. Lovecraft. I did not know that. Um, so that is Arkham. So Arkham Asylum is named after that. Oh, okay. Um, so Arkham Horror, yes, Arkham Horror is is a uh, is a, a a board game line uh, going way back to the Call of Cthulhu board game. Uh, but they're mostly made by it's made by a company called Fantasy Flight Games. So they did a board game called Arkham Horror, where you go around the town and and close gates full of monsters and all that. And uh, it's kind of notorious because it's a co-op game. You're trying to prevent the Cthulhu or who whatever elder god old one is your is your enemy in the game from awakening. And the gimmick is that it's really hard. Like you are probably going to. You know, I own Arkham Horror and all its expansions. 
And I've, you know, I've, of all the times I've played it, uh, we've probably won a third of the time. Maybe you usually die. Like you're you're like, that's, (laughs) it's part of the, part of the thing of, of the Lovecraft thing is like, you're, you don't stand much of a chance against these things. Um, And it's very heavily weighted in, you know, investigation, exploration, uh, and maintaining your character's health and sanity. Um, And so this game, Arkham Horror Mother's Embrace, is a adventure game. I'd say it's an adventure game with turn-based combat. Which isn't something um, that we get a lot of. <laughs> no, not too much. And it's yeah, it's based on um, it's kind of a melding of um, Arkham Horror, the third edition of the Arkham Horror board game, and Arkham Horror the card game, which is a, uh, a an ongoing what's called a living card game that they put out where um, you know like a like a magic the, like the gathering game yep. is like you know they put out booster packs and you have to collect all of them and build your deck and all that stuff. So a living card game is plays similar to a magic style thing, except you don't the, the cards aren't randomly distributed. You just buy the box of the cards and that's all the cards and you just that's it. Like you don't there are no rare cards. There are no you know got to go f- buy, open more packs to hope you get the one you want. It's all in the box. Okay. Um, and then uh, yeah, it expansions. You use those those to build new decks and have new characters and new. And then like the, they have scenarios, and you basically put cards down that represent rooms. And there's little paragraphs of text you read that tell the story. And you can go through different campaigns with your same character and continue through. So this is this is a mix of that and the board the the board game's latest edition, which takes ideas from that, where kind of you construct a map and go through the map and have to defeat monsters and, and look for clues. Um, the interesting thing about this series is like uh, there is combat, but like a lot of it is about finding clues and using those clues to like remove threats. Uh, in the old version of the board game, one of the most dangerous characters you could play as was a librarian. And you who had almost no... one, it looks like 10 characters or something like that. In um, this game? I think there's at least six or seven. OK, um, I can't remember uh, how many there were. Uh, what I played difference as the, does I played the character as the... make in which one you choose? So different characters. There's there's uh, they don't say it in this version of the game, but they still kind of follow the template. There are, there are five different kind of classes in Arkham Horror, which is like Guardian, Mystic, Survivor, Seeker, and um, something else, Rogue. And uh, they all kind of focus on different things. And you have, um, they can be uh, you know more focused to magic, more focused to melee, more focused to... Um, investigation or more focused to ranged combat uh different different types also have different you know associations with the the weirdness and the mystic stuff in the world so you are more resilient to sanity loss which is very important um so like um, someone who's like more uh, inclined to the mystic arts or something might not go as crazy when they see a lovecraft creature whereas like someone who's like a like a private investigator who is in you know he's he's the guy who's a private investigator that teams up with you in this game is actually a character from the core card game um these are all mostly all of these i think are established characters from the board games okay. that are in this and um so he's a good fighter and he's uh, he's good with a gun but he may not he may not adjust to seeing a Lovecraftian monster too well. You know, like the more grounded in reality you are, the more you might go crazy when you see a monster. Now, are there what uh, are there insanity effects in this, like Eternal Darkness? How does the insanity sort stuff of. work? So, what happens with this is, um, if you if you look in the upper, I don't know if you've seen it because I can't see the monitor, but like in the upper right corner, there's this thing called the uh, the Mythos Wheel, 
And uh, that's like in in the, the board games, uh, what's called the, the Doom Tracker, where um, every time you, if you if you let monsters build up too much, or you fail too many things like the Doom Tracker will fill up. and The Doom Tracker fills up. The, the old one awakens and and you can still fight the old one, but you are probably not going to win. So it's kind of the end of the game. OK, um, like in you this, said, you every time when you play this. So. <laughs> yeah. So in, so in Mother's Embrace, what happens is. Um, You'll uh, you'll the 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 mystic the the mythos wheel fills up uh, every time everyone goes through a full turn of combat. Okay. So it's it's in your best interest to finish combat quickly in one turn if you can. Uh, and it fills up if there there's things where you investigate stuff and you some will sometimes be given an option of different you know methods to take to investigate the thing. And if you um, Sometimes if you have certain expertises, so like uh, each character tends to have a different kind of knowledge. So like one character will have knowledge of like, um, uh, you know, investigation stuff. One will have knowledge of, uh, of magic stuff. One will have knowledge of whatever. And if, if any of your characters, you have up to three characters in your party and any of those characters have knowledge that relates to the thing you're investigating, they might give you a little hint that okay. says, oh, it would be good if we did this. And so you can pick that if you pick, and there's always one correct investigation choice on those. If you pick the right one, you get whatever you're investigating and it's fine. If you pick the wrong one, it fills a, a pip on the mythos wheel. And if the, every time the mythos wheel fills up, everybody has to take a sanity check. And what a sanity check is, is basically you have a, you have your hit points and you have sanity points, usually around six or seven, depending on the character, uh, as low as five, I think on a couple of them. And um, what happens is every time you see a crazy thing or you're exposed to Lovecraft's Cthulhu-y shit, um, you might have to do a sanity check. And that, under the hood of the game, they roll dice to decide if you do or do not lose a sanity point. And if you lose a sanity, if you lose sanity points, eventually you can you can get it back for, for, from various objects and like you know healing items. But uh, if you drop down to zero, um, you know, if the Mythos wheel fills up, everybody has to take one. And if you if a character drops down to zero, they get what's called a trauma, um, and those are determined per character. So each character has, I think, a set of, a set of I think three different traumas that are their specific set of traumas. And so, like the first one that that my characters got was uh, daydreaming, which means they're easily distracted, which means that their initiative roles are lower in combat, so they're less likely to be able to go first. Like monsters are more likely to go first. Okay. And every time the mythos wheel fills up, you get another uh, trauma. And uh, once you get all three traumas, another fill up, another full loss of sanity, or every time you lose all your sanity, you get another trauma. And every and if you get all three, the next time you lose all your sanity, the first trauma enhances, oh, so it gets worse. And so if you if that happens too often, your character, the character can become basically a detriment, um, because they're just holding back the group because they have so many penalties going on. Uh, you, you, you know, eventually you do build up a, a, like a team so you can swap characters out, uh, either whether, be, whether you, one guy's too traumatized to continue for now, or, uh, you need someone with a different expertise for whatever the next scenario is. Um, and the way it works is like the structure of the game is basically there's a location and you go in and you have to, you know, investigate, talk to people, fight some fights. Um, the sanity thing is a constant kind of balance. Like if you even see an enemy, you have a sanity check. Oh, okay. Um, and I will say, I, to, I having played a lot of the card game, 
the sanity checks on this are a little more lenient than the board games have been. Um, I found my characters uh, making it through their sanity checks intact more often than I would that have probably expected. Probably makes sense, which is, for, which is good. Like, it's a yeah, game it's, and they, they don't want people to just get beaten up by the game. Um, but you are going to get beaten up. That's the thing. It's like you are not making it through this pristine. Um, and that's kind of part of the fun is sort of clawing your way through these horrific situations and slowly watching these characters, people deteriorate basically under the strain of these crazy things they have to deal with. Um, and so like you is a main, like is like basically an area and you have to fight off whatever's in there, solve the story part. And then you'll get done and you go and you get like, uh, you go back to your home base and there's like a whole, there's like a big, there's a, a stash with all the stuff you found. And so you get to choose who goes out on the next mission and who, what they take with them. Um, you have ammo counts because, like, you have uh, you can have guns and stuff because it takes place, in, I think, the early twenties um, or maybe nineteen tens. Yeah, and um, based on the detective. You, <laughs> yeah, and you uh, you have and you have to remember to reload the guns between between each uh, combat. Like, they won't do that for you. And if you forget, you'll have to reload during combat, which means you lose a turn right. doing that, which can be very bad. Um, there is some XCOM-y stuff to it. There's like an Overwatch you can go into if you spend some action points on that. It's an action point-based, turn-based system. So you have like, you know, you spend action points to move around. You spend action points to attack. If you have action points left over, you can do various things. You can refocus, which moves you up in the turn order, which can be useful if you feel like your initiative's too low. Um, you can do Overwatch. So if, you know, like an XCOM where if somebody comes into your range, you will shoot or hit them with your melee weapon. Um, that's a lifesaver in places. Um I won a couple of fights simply by sticking one of my guys with a knife, like at, the, at a key choke point and putting them on overwatch over and over again and like picking the rest of them off with guns. Okay. Um, like it's not bad. Like, you know, there's magic where you can do um, magic is always a little unreliable. So most of the magics, like the, the grimoires you, you find have a risk of uh, wild, what's called wild magic. Um, and if you, if a wild magic goes off, you not only cast the spell you intended to cast, but you cast something you didn't intend to cast. And that can sometimes hurt you or hurt your, your, your allies or heal your enemies, or, you know, you never know what's, or, you know, what's going to happen. Um, so magic is always a risk, but it is a very powerful thing. Um, as you get characters who are better at it, uh, your risks on that go down, but they're never completely gone. Like that's the kind of the, the watchword of this game and all the Arkham Horror games is nothing is without risk. Like you are always on the like on that. the ragged edge of disaster in these games. So if you like to feel powerful and in control and in charge and that you're just handling shit perfectly, do not play these games. <laughs> do not play Arkham. Arkham Horror is if you just want to feel like you are you are one bad dice roll away from failing. Huh. That is what these games are. Interesting. Now I'm guessing anybody who likes a tabletop game buying this is a no brainer. Somewhat. Uh, my caveats on this are um, it's not tremendously high in the production values. Yeah, we're seeing the B-roll right now. It looks pretty crude. Um, there's a, there's, it's the, the, the voice acting is very up and down. It depends, really depends who it is. Uh, like the, the private investigator guy is pretty, pretty good doing his best kind of, you know. You gumshoe know, impersonation. Gumshoe thing. Uh, the guy I picked was the, the grave digger guy who I thought was going to be like a weird taciturn guy, but he turned out to be a wannabe actor who just quotes Shakespeare badly all the time. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but at the same time, it's like, okay, that's not what I thought I was going to get. Um, on the PC, I played, I replayed a little bit as uh, the flapper, like the rich girl flapper, who was actually like really like in like versed on the supernatural. Like it's like <laughs> she's she actually turned out to be really smart. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, and then like the like it's kind of voiced by so like the 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 the, the 
catalyst for everything is you you go to visit this professor who's like an ex who's an astronomy professor who's been following this comet um, for months and more years of her life, decades of her life. And it finally arrived, you know, she's been tracking it through the telescopes at her university, but um, it, uh, Miskatonic University, which is the uh, classic Lovecraft university where everything horrible happens. And um, the, uh, and basically the, the, the comet finally arrived, you know, got close enough to earth that she could directly observe it. And she had, she calls you in cause she's gonna share with like these exciting new observations with you. And you get there and it's like, you can't get in the house. No one's answering. You go in and she's been murdered by cultists and um, you have to go investigate what happened. Um, the trick is the game is narrated by her mm. um, and none of the characters can hear her. She's like a ghost narrating her own death and her own investigation of her own murder. And like, it's kind of a cool narrative trick. Like, cause she's talking directly to you a lot. Like she's, she's literally breaking the fourth wall and talking to the player and knows you're there and trying to help the characters. And she's got an attitude on, like she's kind of a cranky old lady in play, which is pretty funny. Um, the problem is um, like the, 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 the sound mixing is all over the, the map. Like there's like, uh, she's really quiet in the main game sections. And then when you go to like, the narratives, there's like cutscenes, like you know, digital, like kind of like motion comic style cutscenes that get you from scenario to scenario. Her narration in those is incredibly overmodulated. Like it uh, sounded like it was like trying to blow recorded. my. Yeah, like it was poorly recorded <laughs> or poorly mixed. Like one wow. of the other, like like to the point that I'm like, did they just have some? Did she just have to record this in her bedroom? Probably. Um, like who knows where where that was recorded or what the sound guy did to it. Um, it is very off. There's a lot of like text formatting problems, typos everywhere, like missing words in place. Like it's not, it's not a triple A production. Let me put it that way. Yeah. We can but see you, that from the B roll for sure. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, like audio wise, it's also kind of, you know, it's that's what you're looking at here. That's what you need to expect. Okay. Um, you know, and, and to, to some degree, it's a step up from having to look at a bunch of cards and pretend they're a map. Right. But at the same time, some of it, you know, and I think people, if you're not familiar with how the game works, you're going to be a little bit lost because they use a lot of mechanics from the card game and the, and the board game that they explain them. But if you're not acquainted with them, I think it's harder to get a handle on it in a digital form just in the sense that when you're doing it in, a, in the card game and the board game, you are actively moving the tokens around, you are you are rolling the dice, you are seeing how these things play out. And when you move a lot of the, the dice rolling and kind of all that stuff under the hood, it can I think it can all happen at once. You're like, wait, what happened? Like, And I understand what happened because I know, oh, that was like they rolled the dice for this and I lost that. So I did, I lose that sanity point or I, you know, I didn't hit with that or that was a critical, but I didn't roll that, you know, it's... um. It just feels like uh, there's a lot happening under the hood that may not be self-explanatory, so it'll take a little bit of getting used to. And, like, it can really easily feel hopeless. Um, and it's not. Like, you can get through shit, and, you know, you'll, uh, you, you won't come out unscathed. Like, the characters will have some, some damage on them. You get your health and sanity refilled between scenarios, but the traumas stay. Uh, um, so, like, you, you know, that's a permanent eventually. problem for that character for the rest of your game. Um, and if you're not ready to kind of accept that these characters are going to get beat up and you're going to basically drag yourself across the finish line in the end, if that's frustrating to you and not interesting or exciting, then I would say don't even touch it. Okay. And um, what about for people who just want to play something new? Because... 
I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I've seen too many point-and-click adventure games with turn-based combat. Well, I mean, this is not point-and-click. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's, it's 3D, it, sort it of. It is, but... but- I mean, if you look at it, it looks like a point I mean, you could game do where you can actually click. move the character around. Because it's like fixed camera perspectives and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 3D, but like you, if you wanted to do it point and click, you probably could. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, you know, there's no action element to it. Um, even holding the trigger to run, you don't really move that much faster. <laughs> it's, it's like maybe a, a 20% speed increase. Um, it's more like, really, it's more if you're interested in the subject matter, I think. Um, if you're into the Lovecraft thing, if you're into kind of a 1920s style, like, you know, cosmic horror detective thing, like that's pretty much what this is. Um, I do find that the combat is a little tedious at times, like, uh, especially cause there's no advantage to being in combat. Um, so the it card game and very the, clunky, even though it's turn based, it looked clunky. Yeah. Like, the card game and the, and the board game offer a lot of ways to get around combat because, uh, combat generally does not work out too well for, for a player. Uh, this one you are forced into combat a lot, and I feel like maybe they didn't balance the sanity problem quite the way they should have. Because like, basically, by the time you're you're about halfway or two thirds of the way through the second scenario uh, in the university, um, at least one, probably all your characters are going to have lost sanity at least once. Um, it's just unavoidable, and. Um, like, I don't know if the game does a good enough job kind of explaining like this is how the game works, like. Losing sanity and getting tra- like traumas doesn't mean you fucked up. Yeah, it means that's the game working as intended. Sounds like uh, that's, that's a how, big how games no, challenge for raises. anyone. <laughs> Who would you recommend it to? Um, I mean, if you already are familiar with Arkham Horror, uh, like you might find something to like in it. It's actually it's kind of, it's pretty cheap. I think it's only like twenty bucks. And what platforms is it on? Like everything. Oh really? Like it's it's. Uh, it was on a lot of stuff, I think. Switch? Uh, That's a waste of It's on card. Switch. It's on, yeah, it's on PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, PC. Okay. Um, hell, maybe it's on Stadia. Who knows? Um, <laughs> probably not. But uh, no, it's on everything. Um, it's it's a weird little curiosity, I would say. Um, let me double check that price. Um what would you be willing to pay for it? I mean, that's really the question, I guess. I mean, I did pay, I think, 15 for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's twenty bucks is the is the the, the MSRP. Um, if anything about it makes you curious or like you think, oh, that's interesting. Like I would say, wait, you know, I guarantee you this thing's gonna hit sale prices <laughs> in yeah. four to six months. Well, it's already um, discounted at launch, so yeah. So uh, if you want a weird um, like like stat driven dice driven uh, narrative heavy uh, kind of RPG thing go by Elise disco Elysium yep. final cut. Yeah. Uh, but this is, this was a fun little diversion. And I, you know, cause I love the board games and the card games. Like it was fun to see how they turned this into an adventure game. Um, I'm not totally going to call it good. Also, it's not particularly scary. I mean, I don't think anything's scary. We, we've been over that, yeah. but I fell asleep playing this a couple of <laughs> times, which is partly my fault for playing it late at night. But I don't like, think the presentation was, helps. I mean, the, Graphics are pretty basic, and yeah. the animations are really basic. Like, yeah, I can see where it might have some trouble stirring up some tension. So, yeah, it's not, you know, the, the tension comes from getting your characters through this stuff more or less not dead or crazy. Um, and it does that, you know, it, it, it does a decent job of taking that, the board game concepts and bringing them into a video game. Um, is it going to be a massive hit? Probably not. 
but uh, I think it, it serves its audience well enough. I'm I'm going to say if you have interest in if there's like oh that sounds like an interesting idea, you're probably better served picking up the Arkham Horror card game uh, core set and trying that. Not that um, you can play that now with the pandemic and everything, but uh, no, you, if can, you have a you family. Can, I guess you could. No, you can play it solo. No, you can't. It, it, it is yeah. The card game is soloable. You can play as one character or you can play two characters at once if you want. Ideally, it's two. Uh, it's one to four players basically, okay. um, and it's co it's co it's cooperative. So you are not playing against each other. Um, same with the board game, but uh, yeah. So you know, so that's that's an option. And if you if you like it, there's thousands of expansions to try, um, and this. But okay. uh, yeah, I. I've, I don't know. I can't recommend it really. Um, it's it's a little too janky and a little too um, inside baseball for people who like these board games already. Um, but if you do like the board games, um, I at least think you will be mildly entertained by how they turned it into a video game. Okay. So there you go. That's Arkham Horror Mother's Embrace, available for everything for 20 bucks. But for most of you, it's going to be a pass. Um, all right. Up or next. get it in a humble bundle or a, you know, yeah. This thing has PlayStation Plus written all over it <laughs> in, a, in a while. I don't know if you, you know. saw like the Xbox to get that. for Xbox. Well, it's not Xbox Live anymore. Now it's called what Xbox Network or whatever. Um, but I guess you saw the free games for uh, April are not looking so good on Xbox. So I didn't see them. What were they? I can't even tell you. They're all games. <laughs> like that's my point. Like they're that bad. Like they're like hardly any recognizable games. So not exactly Final Fantasy VII remake. Huh? No. So yeah, it might be uh, appeared on Xbox before PlayStation. I mean, I, uh, we all know I hate that game, but it, like that's a that's a legit PlayStation Plus perk. Heck yeah, getting that for free for a lot of people. That's a huge perk. Yep. All right, let's well, move on. Well, for a lot of people, it's something they already own, but it's like that's. I mean, that, you know, I, you remember when we when people, you know, not just we, but people in general would complain that PlayStation Plus doesn't give you games worth. The subscription cost, like they turned that around. That is flipped. I give, them, give them credit for give them credit for that. Yep, for sure. All right, we're going to talk next about something that also broke last week and probably would have been last week's show, but it's such a big story. And Matt is so tied into the fighting game community that I felt like we needed to talk about it on Game Face. Uh, and the big news in esports and the fighting game community is that Sony has purchased Evo, the world's biggest fighting game tournament. Uh, there's really no disputing that. Evo is the leader, hands down. Mm -hmm. It is one of the only esports tournaments that I watch every year when it happens. Uh, if you guys remember last year, it was actually canceled um, in a, for the pandemic. And then because there was all these sexual assault things going on around the tournament, um, it's been on a bit of a rough patch, uh, to be perfectly honest, for the last couple years. Uh, but Sony swooped in and bought it in connection with a company called RTS. Do you know what that mm -hmm. company is, Matt? No. I don't either. Um, that was a new one on me. Yeah, so they bought it in conjunction with a company called RTS. I'm not sure who owns more of it or if Sony if Sony's a minority owner, that might kind of change the discussion a little bit, um, but I'm not sure. None of that stuff has been really released to the public so far. Uh, but anyway, Sony now owns Evo. Um, it's a little bit like the Dallas Cowboys buying the Super Bowl, uh, which is, gives me a little bit of a pause, Matt. Um, just right off the top, how do you feel about this? Great. Okay. Evo was going to die if they didn't do that. It was. Yes. Because I'll, I'll just put it to you this way, Matt. If I had a lot of disposable income, and I do not, but, but if I did, and I were if I were a rich man, I would have bought Evo um, in a heartbeat for mm -hmm. so many reasons. One, I think that anyone with half a brain can turn it into something hugely successful and hugely profitable. And number two, it, it needs to go on just for 
the culture and the community around fighting games. Um, so I don't know. To me, I'm surprised to hear you say that, that you thought Evo was going to die. Like, I can't imagine that, like, one of these huge gaming leagues wouldn't have bought it. Why would you say it was going to go away? Because it was poison because one of their co-founders was a pedophile. I know. I mean. Like, no one wanted to touch it. But Sony and touched it. Sony No pun, can no touch pun it. intended. So, well, Sony, I mean, Sony is obviously diving in on it because Sony is a large corporation with a huge legal team that can kind of rehabilitate this thing's image. Uh, also, Sony has sponsored Evo and tons of gaming tournament stuff forever. Like, it doesn't surprise me that they would be interested, and I don't see it really changing that much. I mean, it wouldn't like, turn me away from buying it. I would have hired a PR firm to rehab this image, and, you know, you yeah, put out a good press wants- release when you buy something, you can change a lot of minds real quick. And if the guy's out, like, why would people just assume it was still kind of this murky thing? I don't know. Because then you're asking, well, who is this person who bought it? What are they going to do now? What's going to happen? You know, it's like, you're, it's it, the, the PR nightmare is not just that. The PR nightmare is, is, you know, someone swooping in and taking over this thing that's been community run for 20 some years. Um, PlayStation already has ties to it. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not, again, I don't think it's going to be a very noticeable change, really. I think it's just, it's just going to have corporate backing that ensures it's not going to disappear or be run by weirdos anymore. Um, I mean, I like a lot of the guys who I know, I didn't, I didn't know the guy who was the problem that turned out to be the problem, um, that I recall. I don't think I did. Um, I know the other guy, you know, the Cannon brothers and those guys, like, those are all great dudes. Um, so like I'm, you know, they're, I don't think they're involved as much because they formed their own company to do, uh, you know, with, they're with Riot now, or one of them is still. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, this was kind of inevitable uh, eventually, and that Sony, Sony at least, would buy it. Not that Sony, but somebody would buy it, and Sony buying it is fine by me. Like they 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 know what it is. They've been involved in it forever. Uh, Playstations have been sort of the official console of of the high level fighting game tournaments forever. Um, you know, they're certainly not going to like edge out Capcom or, or, or blaze blue or any of these other games. You know, I don't think Sony doesn't really have a dog in the fighting game fight. You know what I mean? But like they don't, they don't, they don't make any fighting games. Uh, so it's not like there's really going to be much of a, of a bias at play here, but it could, it could release a fighting game and suddenly they're trying to make it like the highlight of championship Sunday or whatever. Yeah, but if anybody uh, has any experience with the fighting game community, they know that's not going to work. Like you got If they're you the ones in, writing the checks, they can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. But doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It makes, it makes it a good idea. It's going to be a successful idea. But, I mean, you already said that it was going to go away if Sony didn't buy it. So does that matter? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the people that are watching are going to accept anything you shove down their throats. But is Sony going to care if people watch is my point. If it's just a marketing tool for PlayStation, then do they really care if it it goes from three million viewers to half a million viewers? I mean, if nobody's watching, you're not getting your PlayStation message out there. So still hitting a lot of people. I have a number of questions for you that I want you to kind of remark on. I think what what you're saying there sounds like baseless paranoia to me. Okay, I'll believe it, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, um, so you don't think Sony will squeeze out? Nintendo or Microsoft from being a part of the tournament. Microsoft no. launches a brand new fighting game. They're not going to it's not going to be a problem. I don't think so. Really? I would I would think uh, Microsoft would be more likely to be a problem than Nintendo. Like I don't, you're not getting rid of Smash Brothers like like unless Are you, you not? want just no. Like do you do you want like 
the biggest blow up in the history of video game tournaments of people screaming at about about Sony and shit for forever. That because then don't leave just leave Smash Brothers there. Who's it hurt? But Matt, the, maybe the problem is is that Nintendo doesn't want Smash Brothers at Evo now that Sony owns it. I well, mean, that's a different it, thing, well, right? But that's what I'm talking about. That's a problem. Well, that's not Sony's problem. It's a problem for Evo. Not really. How is it not? Smash is one of the biggest games at Evo. Yeah, but Smash is also kind of separate from the fighting game stuff. So, well, Nintendo uh, already announced that it's setting up its own huge Smash tournaments. Yeah, and it well, announced it after the week this was announced that Sony bought Evo. Mm-hmm. So, it's not a problem? Um, I mean, we'll see in terms of like kind of viewership and demographics, but uh, I don't think most of the fighting game community would consider it a problem if Smash goes away, no. Now, to be fair, Nintendo has not said yet that Smash is not going to be at Evo, although it was not one of the games that was announced for the next Evo, but they said more games are coming to be announced. So I just want to be clear about that. But there is a possibility that Smash could no longer be at Evo because of the fact that Sony now owns it. Is that not true? Yeah, well, uh, not really, because part of, I mean, partly, but also part of the reason it might not be at Evo is because the Smash guy was the problem. Um. And maybe they just don't want to be associated anymore. Is that if that's Sony's idea of how to clean up the image is to remove the game that was associated with the guy who was the problem, that could be part of that. Um, it's also, you know, Nintendo has been notoriously sort of lackadaisical about supporting the Smash, uh, the Smash tournament community. Um, it's weird that they would suddenly be like, okay, now we're going to do this. Um, the, I, I don't know how the Smash community is reacting to that. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're they're glad of Nintendo taking any interest whatsoever other than trying to shut their tournaments down, as they have in the past. Um, I am not sure the Smash community would be willing to trust Nintendo to kind of run the backbone of their tournament year um, because they have proven to lose interest very quickly in supporting that scene. Um so in that sense, I would think that the Smash players would prefer to stay in sort of the mainstream fighting game community, like tournament world, like Evo, um, just because uh, they've had more success there and they don't have to rely on Nintendo to do anything about it because Nintendo is somewhat unreliable in that regard. Um, if this is Nintendo's idea of like counter-programming for, something Sony, for Sony now owning Evo, uh, it kind of shocks me that they even care that much. Um, that they wouldn't just say like, like my, if Nintendo was going to react to that negatively, my prediction would be Nintendo would just say no Smash Brothers at Evo. We don't want it there. G- goodbye. You, you know, basically remember, like, everything is going to be slathered in a PlayStation 5 logo. So you're watching mm-hmm. people play Smash Brothers while everything framing the screen says PlayStation. Yeah. But like, I mean, if, if I were Nintendo, I don't think I'd care really. Like, what does it matter? I mean, like, you, you're not Nintendo. really in competition. You're not really in competition with the PlayStation. You sell like crazy anyway. Um, Smash Brothers is certainly uh, there's nothing on PlayStation can touch it in terms of. I mean, let's of be honest. Sony has been the one who hasn't wanted to play nice with the other guys. They were the last yeah. ones to agree to cross-platform play. I don't know, Matt. I think there's some legitimate concerns here. Um, I don't think there are until they happen. Really? Okay. Um. So Everything what, else is just hand-wringing, expecting the worst. So do you not think that Sony's going to demand that every game at Evo is played on a PlayStation? I mean, it pretty much already is. But so what if Microsoft launches a new Killer Instinct? Um, I'll be very surprised, uh, for one. Um, 
And I don't know, like I said, I think what they're going to do is it's going to be like it used to be. It's like, do you want to pay to sponsor? Come on in. Hmm. And again, it depends whether Sony is calling those shots or this RTS company is. Um, to your point like about... Like, if you want to turn this into a Sony event, I guess you could, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, they don't traffic in fighting games. You know, the best you can do is, like, say, like, everything's played on a PlayStation here, which they've always done. You know, that's always been how it is. If it could be played on a PlayStation at Evo, it was. But what if they it, released, you know, PlayStation Battle Royale 2? They released a sequel to their Smash Brothers clone. You don't think that they're going to plaster it all over Evo to try to promote they can, it? They can try, like, you know, that's happened before. Like, games have done that and bought huge sponsorship uh, at Evo or, or or big tournaments around, you know, over the course of the year. And it doesn't change the fact that nobody wants to play their bad game. Yeah, you know, but those games, you those were talking earlier about you felt like viewership mattered. Do you think that stuff like that would turn off viewers from watching? Probably while that was on, but then they'll come back for the games they care about. I mean, all the commercials, or at least probably half the commercials are going to be for PlayStation stuff. Is my yeah. guess. I, who? I mean, it's better than having to watch the same Razor Chair commercial for the fourteenth <laughs> time. Good point. <laughs> what about the impact that this has on fight the fighting game industry? Does all of a sudden every fighting game become a PlayStation exclusive, or PlayStation becomes a lead platform? You have to remember, Sony helped fund Street Fighter V's development, and mm-hmm. people were pretty salty that at first Street Fighter V was a PlayStation exclusive. Now all of a sudden, is every fighting game a PlayStation exclusive? Of course not. No. Um, although I would argue that most, I, I would argue that most people play um, fighting games on PlayStation, um, in part just because that's what most people have sticks for already. It also has a better D-pad on the controller. I would argue that too. Um, you know, and it shifts. Like you know, the 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 fighting game console of choice uh, previous gen was the 360 for the most part. Um, and then you switched over to uh, the PlayStation 4 last gen, and who knows what this gen will be. Probably still PlayStation 5, I would think. Um, because of the compatibility of stuff, nobody really wants to have, buy, buy all new fighting sticks, um, although a lot of people have sticks that can work on anything now, which is nice. Um, like for, you know, PlayStation has been the platform of choice in most of the major tournaments uh, for years and years and years. Um, and certainly, uh, Street Fighter Five cemented that because you had to use it. Um, so I, I just don't. I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. Like you know, the tournament scene also is not big enough to warrant putting your game on one platform only. Like, like if Sony wants to pay for it, sure. But like, it does not make any sense for Arc Systems to put their games only on PlayStation just because Evo is owned by Sony. Um, you're just leaving the money that you make off the Xbox people on the table there or the Switch people or whatever. So what like, happens if gonna... Microsoft money hat Street Fighter and Street Fighter is an Xbox exclusive? Um, I would say that that would probably not be possible. You mean like I, Sony would I, swoop in and give Capcom I think that more might money? Be, it might be a bit of a bidding war for, yeah, for Street Fighter Six in that situation. Um, Are you starting to see, though, there's some legitimate concerns with this? Not really. really. Like you're, you're just—it's just sort of doomsaying to me. It's not like doomsaying. Until, they're legitimate concerns. But why would Microsoft want to do that? For what do you mean? So people buy Xboxes. No, you're not going to buy an Xbox to play Street Fighter. Like it's. Well, it's, then why did Sony money had it for PlayStation Four? What's the point if you're not doing it to sell hardware? I think because Street Fighter Four was such a huge hit that they want to get in on the ground floor with the next one, and the next one was not particularly well received in comparison. 
And in, in, you know, I think Sony learned a hard lesson there about how fickle the fighting game community can be when, when you put out something that they consider subpar. Uh, and Street Fighter V has improved tremendously over the year. I mean, I think I think most people would agree that what Street Fighter V is now is not, you know, not remotely comparable to what it launched as. Uh, Capcom brought it around and fixed a lot of stuff and made it a much better game. But what came out at the time, what Sony originally paid for to have on their platform, um, was a bit of a train wreck yeah. to most people. You start looking around, and it's like you know, franchises like Guilty Gear. That would be very easy for Microsoft to make exclusive to Xbox platforms. A lot of those smaller Japanese fighting franchises, it could swoop in and scoop those up. And then what happens? You know, it's there's definite concerns. I mean, you always had an issue where like with that, but like that was always but there. You didn't because Evo was run independently and it didn't care. It was run independently, but they could threaten, you know, there was, if you wanted to run something on an Xbox, you were potentially threatening your sponsorship with PlayStation. Um, that was an ongoing problem at times. Uh, you know, even there was even a question about that with uh, when they did, you know, they did killer instinct stuff there one year, I think like, you know, little, like little exhibition stuff with killer instinct. Mm -hmm. And there were questions at the times like, well, can they even do that? And will Sony react to it? Because Sony is a sponsor and that's why they, everything's on PlayStation. And they didn't care. You know, it didn't happen. I mean, obviously, if there's a, if there's ownership there, it could change. But the, like the two things there are like, A, I believe that when it happens, because otherwise, because that just looks shitty. Like just, you know, in terms of like optics, that's a petty way to go about things, especially when you know you've bought into what was a community run thing for, you know, two decades. And second, um, Microsoft's going to have to do that first. And I feel like Microsoft has bigger fish to fry than to play chicken with Sony over a over a two million selling fighting game. But you know, Xbox has a relationship with Team Ninja. Maybe the next DOA, they have some kind of a special deal with it. And I don't know. I think if anyone, lots of great I, I'll areas. tell you this would, much: would you, no would you one, no one in the world is going to care if DOA is not an Evo. <laughs> Would you agree that it would have been more ideal or better if a third party had bought Evo instead of like one of the it, platform holders? It depends on the third party. Um, my confidence in Sony doing it is because Sony has been involved with the fighting game community for years and years and years, and those guys know I mean, what this is. The presentation they know what is going to improve. I can guarantee that. Like, it's going to look better. It's going to sound better. The stage is probably going to be nicer. The arena that they hold it in is probably going to be a better arena. Like, I think in a lot of ways, I don't think it'll be a better. I don't think it get better than uh, Mandalay Bay. <laughs> it's just probably, probably just going to stay the same in that regard. Oh, I uh, think the be more PlayStation will logos. definitely improve. Definitely. I don't know if the play. I don't know if production value really has anywhere else to go. Like they already aired on ESPN. Like it's it's uh, it's up there. Um, I just think there'll be more PlayStation logos. Yeah, that's a given for sure. And I don't blame them if they're putting up the money for it. Then that's why they're putting the money up for it. Oh yeah. I mean like, that's the whole reason behind it. I mean you can the, talk the about Sony care about the fighting game community or whatever. PlayStation fives flanking it. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean, the stage is probably going to have like two PS5s that are like 20 yeah. feet tall. Well, like. place, actually, the stage should just be a PlayStation 5 on its side. <laughs> we like, already no talked about no how if you lay it sideways, it looks shot. like a street corner. So they could just have them like basically the two fighting kiosks like on the street corner of the PS5. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I do have some concerns. I agree with you for the most part that a lot of this stuff is just like conjecture. Uh, but I think there are legitimate concerns that could arise, uh, so I think it's an interesting discussion. Particularly, yeah. uh, speaking the with biggest you about X factor it. is is Smash Brothers. Like, yeah, it's huge. You know, well, I mean, I don't think Sony minds Smash Brothers being there because it draws more eyeballs. Right. Um, 
the question is going to be Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Like, is Nintendo's move on making kind of, kind of being involved in the tournament scene all of a sudden their move to try to pull Smash out of Evo so they don't have to deal with Sony or be in, a, a, associated with Sony? Yep. Um, that would be in character for Nintendo, but it also feels like it feels like it would be undermining what the Smash community has worked to build for all these years. Um, especially if Sony is sort of like, I mean, we don't care, like do your smash thing. It gets, you know, another 1.5 million people to watch for the grand finals. So like, what is, what do you know, that's just more, you know, it's not like they have a competitor to smash brothers. I think if you're, if Sony's being honest with themselves, they're whatever that was battle Royale, all stars, whatever the fuck that was. Um, they know that was a bust. Like they can't compete on that level. I wouldn't be surprised to make another one though, Matt. I mean, people have speculated that for a long time. Um, if that feels like throwing good money after bad, but uh, okay. that wouldn't be the first time Sony's done that. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, who knows? Um, it, 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 <laughs> I'm trying to even picture what that would look like. I guess at least uh, Kratos would look different now. <laughs> just, yeah, I, I just want him to have a move where he just says boy over and over again. <laughs> boy, boy. Well, now the boy, axe obviously boy. would be a big part of his. Uh, yeah, but he'd be a better. He would be a better fit for that game now. He would actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of. Um, a lot of ifs. That's a lot of ifs and a lot of. Um, I don't know. I would prefer uh, that Mountain Dew or anybody else bought it. To be perfectly honest with you. Oh God, no! I, <laughs> I would. I mean, it would have been it would have been Red Bull. Let's be honest. It would have been <laughs> and Red I would Bull. Prefer if Red um, Bull bought it. Honestly, absolutely. I I, I don't Red know. Red Bull's great like, with esports. Red Bull is, but Red Bull is also more, as fickle as you get. So you know, it's, they also it's, got more uh, money than they, God. They, so. Yeah, but they could also just drop it when it doesn't fit, you know, fit their spreadsheet properly. It drops below certain arbitrary levels. Like, oh, I guess Evo's done, and that's the end of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Sony is going to keep it going because they care about the opinions of the uh, of the community to some degree. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they how they handle it. Could um, be interesting. Yeah, like it. You know, if I had obviously, to bet, I would say no Smash at Evo. To be honest with you, and I don't. Th- that's not Sony because Sony, of course, it wants Nintendo fans to come and see its huge console on stage mm-hmm. and all this stuff running on PS5. Nintendo's the one that's going to be like, mm, I don't know. These fighting I mean, games look, on PS5 I... look pretty damn good. <laughs> Look, I have no problem if Smash goes away from Evo. Really? I, oh, yeah, you're not I a big hate, Smash fan. I hate watching Smash Brothers. I think high-level Smash Brothers play is obscenely boring. Um, it I have gets no a little interest. absurd. I'll agree with that. I just, it's not, you know, I have, I have long been in the trenches of arguing that, yes, Smash Brothers is a fighting game. It is not a party game. It is not a... a fun game is that whatever weird dismissive term people want to use to keep it, you know, to gatekeep it out of the fighting game world. Smash brothers is a fighting game, but I don't want to watch anyone else play it. Yeah. I just want to play it myself. It is fun to play. Not so fun to watch. I'd agree. Yeah. And if you're not really hardcore into it, like it, I think it's way harder to follow than a lot of the other fighting games as well. Yeah. Um, so for me, from a completely selfish non-marketing point of view, I I prefer the days when Evo's Sunday finals were all something I would want to watch. Yeah. And it wasn't didn't have a two and a half hour block where I just had to go do something else because I couldn't stand to watch Smash Brothers any longer. But losing Smash Brothers would be uh you know would lose a lot of eyeballs, but I do think that the the Smash people and the fighting game people do tend to be somewhat separate groups. Um so I'm not sure exactly how much you lose in terms of one thing or the other, because you know you, you'd see a big shift in viewership when Smash Brothers would start, 
uh, in terms of kind of a, a rotation of who was watching. And then when Smash Brothers ends, everything drops and then it comes back up again as the yeah. people who left to not watch Smash come back to watch Street Fighter or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if in the end it, it doesn't just turn out to be much something of a zero-sum game. My concern would be for the Smash people who would have to go over to whatever Nintendo's doing and whether Nintendo would have the interest or the stamina to continue it for any real length of time. And if they just decided after a, one season to sort of shut it down or something, and then the smash community is sort of left high and dry. Yep. That would, that would be the, I mean, they, they can always community organize and figure it out that way, but it would just, it just seems like it's, it's a prime opportunity for Nintendo to jerk the smash community around yet again. Yeah, I mean, I think Nintendo's done a pretty good job with its own esports stuff. Like those things that they do at E3, I think are pretty good. Yeah, somewhat. I I just you know they've they've done the weird things where they tried to shut down the tournaments of this kind of tournament. Right. tournament. Yeah, they, I mean, Smash at Evo's been kind of a thing for a while. In all honesty, like it's always been kind of this X factor. Is it going to be there this year? Is, is you know is Melee going to be there this year? There's always been this like weird thing going on. Yeah, well, this. that's all this. The Melee thing's a whole separate argument. Right. But like, yeah. um. You know, and, and the whole thing's like, oh, I mean, it's better now that um, Ultimate is in play because uh, the previous one, it was sort of like there was a lot of feeling of like Melee should be the the grand finals one and it's only the, the Wii U one because Nintendo insists it be that because they want to sell Net that. Ultimate Netcode is trash too, which has made Nintendo reluctant to put it places where it's not in control of everything. So yeah. There's other stuff at play there for sure. Yeah, well, I, would I mean, the good news is that Evo will probably be in person next time it happens, so they should be okay there. But I think the next one's Evo Online, actually. The new one is, yeah. yeah. The I one for I, this I year is think, online, yeah. Yeah, but next year it'll be... And we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm not going to fully judge Evo, the new era of Evo, on an on, on online yeah, me event. Either. Yeah, Did they get a pass um, for this year? Absolutely. Because everyone's just trying to do the best they can to make anything work, so I, I totally get that. Uh, before we move on, though, I do want to let everybody know exactly the games that have been announced for Evo so far. Um, Guilty Gear Strive, the new Guilty Gear, which looks amazing. Naturally. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, Street Fighter V Champion Edition, and Tekken 7. Those are the only games announced so far. And Evo oh, has said sense. that more will be announced, but that's all they've got so far. My so, guess is that we will get uh, probably Blaze Blue uh, Cross Tag Battle will be in there. Yeah, probably. Probably um, a couple other Japanese anime Fighters, I'm guessing. Maybe. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, Undernight in Birth is mm. kind of hot right now. That yep. could be it. Um, a lot of people want to see Dragon Ball come back, but Namco just does not give a shit. Yeah, it's so, so weird. There might be some it. license thing with, with the Dragon Ball license there. I don't know. It's weird. There was a problem with that where, like, they were like the Dragon Ball license holders were like demanding that the any that tournaments pay them license fees for showing the game, basically, which is like, yeah. And then there was like some really speculation that like the license that, that Namco had with them didn't cover that, which is crazy. Like that that is a shame. The Dragon Ball the Dragon Ball Fighters uh, was a was is a shame because like it was it should have been huge. It, it was going to be huge, and then all that stuff got in its way. It's just a shame. It is a shame, absolutely. Um, but it's time to move on. We're going to talk next about at least what I think maybe is the worst game I've played in a really long time. Um, just as anecdotal, we're going to talk about Balan mm. Wonderworld. It's Yuji Naka's new game. It might be his last game, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. Um, just to put this in reference, I was re I was reaching out last week for review code for this game, and I was kind of shuffled between Square Enix's internal PR and their PR agency. Um, I contacted Square Enix PR because my contact works at Square Enix, and I was pushed to the agency, and the agency pushed me back 
to Square Enix. And then I reached out to like my bro at Square Enix and was like, what's going on? He's like, okay, I'll get you review code before end of day today. That was on Friday. Didn't hear anything. Emailed him on Saturday. No reply. Emailed yesterday. What's up with Balan Wonderworld? Oh, agency says they're sending it to you today. Didn't get it yesterday. Woke up today. Email from Square Enix. They're going to send it to you today, I promise. <laughs> uh, there have been no early reviews for Balan Wonderworld. None. It came out on Friday. There is not a single review. I saw a couple. Well, really? I saw a few. They sent no uh, code. Nobody got early minor. code. Like I was reaching out then to my colleagues who are also journalists. I saw I saw two or three, uh, but they were they were probably just people who bought it early somehow, or got it early somehow. Or, yeah, but got got an early. You know, you know, retail copies leak. They do. Um, um, but journalists did they, not get it early. That's how they ran into the. Uh, that's how they ran into the epileptic problem. Right. But journalists did not get this game early. Best case scenario, they got it on Friday, which we were supposed to get it, didn't get it. Matt, you bit the bullet and you bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, as a Yuji Naka nut job. And I figured I already own Billy Hatcher and the giant egg. What, you know, what else am I waiting for? God awful. Like, the, to me, what I, I played in this game, game is god awful, Matt. It's not, I mean, Billy Hatcher is a, is a competent, it's you know, passable. mechanically complete game. I just hate everything about it. Um, for my own reasons, it is not, uh, I just think I, everything about that game repulses me. Um, but it's a competently made product. Uh, Balan Wonderworld is not. It is. Um, it is, uh, and it's, and the thing is, the sad thing about it is like, I see, look, everything we said about the demo still holds. Nothing's different. Okay. You know, nothing changed. Yeah. If you missed that um, episode, that was a real <laughs> rip roaring uh, topic. It's, um, you know, you know, obviously you play through the first world for, you know, it's all the same shit. Um, so wait, the demo was the first. The was demo the was the first the world, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, and a couple others after that, but uh, I didn't play much beyond that in the demo. Uh, there's an added thing in the you know where you, the little like island you go back to with the little f- you know fluffy bird puff things. Um, so now when you feed you know when you could feed them the the crystals you got when you came back you know you come back and like you they get bigger or whatever and we're like okay so in the final version there's also like this wheel in the middle of the the area and they once they eat they get on the wheel and roll it and, they, and it counts all the revolutions of the wheel and as the wheel as you get a certain number of, of revolutions of the wheel uh, this tower in the middle of the the island builds up like and. And raises up and adds pieces, and it becomes like this big sort of uh, sort of like thrill ride, sort of mousetrap looking thing that the little puff balls ride on and bounce around in. Um, if there's a point to it beyond that, I have not found what it is. Um, and and then you go in and like you know, as you, it's just the same thing. You collect the little statues of Balan, and as you. Uh, as you fill that fill of the bar with those, you can take the train to new worlds and new worlds open. And uh, each, you know, if you remember the first one is all farm themed and you had to like beat the farmer who's the whirlwind destroyed his crops and he turned into a werewolf and then you kill the werewolf (laughs) in five seconds. And, um, and he, then you do a a musical number with him. Right. Um, Which is okay. Like, you know, uh, (laughs) then there's the five second boss fight. Yeah. Yeah. So then I you know, go to the second one. The second one, the second one is like this girl's scuba diving and meets this dolphin, and they like play for 
like a half second and then the dolphin i guess gets possessed by the evil thing even though you never see it happen and it just whacks into her and like sends her like to the bottom of the ocean like with whether like her tank falls off and like you see the dolphin looking down at her with these red eyes and then it cuts to her like crying in a hospital bed because the dolphin hurt her and like there's a torn picture of the dolphin and so you have to go into the the water world and find the dolphin and have like this fight against the evil dolphin who's actually when you find the dolphin it turns into like it's not just a dolphin with red eyes it turns into like this giant like fat elvis looking dolphin <laughs> Dude, the art in like this elect- game is maybe the worst i have ever it's seen bonkers like it's 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 like this weird mesh of like bad sonic and like someone who like played knights once which is weird because it's the guy who designed <laughs> knights you know and it's like like the artist is is from that too and like yeah. um i can't remember his name but like he it's and like the fight with the doll you know i fight i think i've been through three bosses the evil farmer the evil dolphin and the evil butterfly and they're all over in like five like the dolphin is the same thing you know the dolphin is like you're it's one of those boss battles where you're kind of on an ongoing platform bridge thing and it's like throwing stuff at you and it throws like electric jellyfish at you. And so you switch to your electric jellyfish uh, mode and you, it still takes too long to change just like the demo. And then you hit the one button you can use to like do your little electric attack. And if you get anywhere near the electric jellyfish, you hit the jellyfish and it flies back and hits the boss. And that's it. Like wow. that, you get a hit on him. And then the, 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 it throws like things you have to avoid. And then it does another slam thing with like water, this stuff. And then you do a jellyfish, hit him, hit the ball. Like the only reason the dolphin doesn't take the same five seconds as the werewolf is because you got to sit through the pattern four times. <laughs> um, it, and like the thing is like, like it's real easy and I keep thinking it, you feel, you know, like you play a game that's really easy and you're like, Oh, I guess it's for kids or whatever. Uh-huh. That's this, but this game's so this game's so weird and twisted is like, a, it doesn't feel like it's also like it's tapping into like a, like what we said at the, kids at the, like about that the demo, shit though, Matt. they like, Somewhat, but, I, but the way this game no plays, the way this game plays, like we talked about this in the, uh, about the demo is like, it's tapping into a nostalgia for 32 bit, platformers that we're not sure exists yeah. for anyone because <laughs> um, it's like I, I think it was I said like you have it has you have to have nostalgia for two or three Sega platformers made between 1995 and 1997 that are only available on the Saturn that no one bought know? or played which might just be me <laughs> yeah, like I don't know if there's anyone else who yeah. even fits that description but like I so saw one of our colleagues on Twitter he was reviewing this game over the weekend. And his first tweet was, oh my God, this game is like an abortion of all reason and style. Yeah. And then, and then his next tweet was, and my daughter will not stop playing it. I feel yeah, like I, I have that. failed as a human being. It can, I can see this as being something that that kid would just play over and over and not know any better. Just, yeah. you know, sort of like I, I used to watch like those weird drug, drug-laced like 70s animated movies like The Mouse and His Child and Hugo the Hippo and not know that they were like as dark and weird as they were supposed to be, but I just thought they well, were those visually Marty interesting. Marty Croft shows with like the yeah, furries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gumby, yeah. like stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, like that's a thing. Like it works. But yeah. like this is like, and there's moments where I'm just like, you're pandering to me as someone who has nostalgia for that weird sliver of an era. But I, if I am, a, if I'm nostalgic for that, I'm clearly pretty hardcore about the whole video game thing. So why is this so easy? Like, yeah. like there's a certain point at which it stops feeling like you're, 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 you're um, trying to make it for kids and it feels like you're insulting me. Okay. 
Like, because I don't know who line. this is for. I just constantly feel like I don't know who this is for. Now, do um, any of the transformations and kind of the creature suits, do any of those get better or make more sense? Is the I mean, they on? thematically, I mean, they kind of make thematic, like the, the, the second level, you're, you get the, a dolphin suit and a uh, and a jellyfish suit, which is which I thought was a I thought was an electric mushroom at first, and then I was like, oh no, I guess it's supposed to be an electric jellyfish. I get it. Okay, um, so like they're thematically appropriate to the thing to the to the world you're in for the most part, which wasn't totally true of the farm. I mean, I guess the farmer one, you got to be a rabbit and a, and a pig. And yeah. A rabbit and a pig and a, and a flower and a dragon, <laughs> and, a dragon one and a wolf. <laughs> yeah. A wolf that was clearly just the Tasmanian devil with a new coat of paint. Now, wolves do kill sheep. So. Well, yeah, wolves show up. <laughs> I, uh, like, it just, I... Is this the end of I, Yuji Naka's career, Matt? I, I it should be. Um, I don't know if it will. I mean, look, I don't know why anybody gave him money for this in the first place. I don't either, but like, but do you think this? Is I, it? And it bothers. The, you know what really less. bothers me about this game that when you start it up, it reminds me that like um, he named the company after this thing. I know, I know. Like dude. what? How do you live that down? Like the fucking gardener could have told you this was not going to be a hit in your <laughs> first levels about the gardener. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I will say I, I like hate the to music. laugh because it really might be the end of his game development yeah, it's, career. It's, it's sad. I do like the music a lot. Okay. Um, I think the music feels like akin. Uh, the music actually does jab the night's nostalgia button for me. Like it has that same quality when they're not doing a weird musical number yeah. um, in what I believe is just a made up gibberish language. Um, I, I, I like the music that plays during the levels and stuff. Like, I think that all works pretty well. How about those quick time um, vignettes? Do they maintain throughout the whole game? What? Those weird, like, quick time battle things that are in this, like, void. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I have trouble telling the difference between them. Okay. Like, the, they they're stay all the same, kind of, basically. They're pretty much variations on the same thing. At least in, the, in, in each level, there's, like, basically the same thing twice. But then, like the the timing's a little different, or the the angles a little different on it. Like that's all I could tell. I mean, I might, apparently the game's pretty long. Like, uh, like I saw a thing of like a list of the bosses, and it's like got like twenty of them or something. Oh my gosh! Um, so I might go on wow. a long time. Which can you is imagine not, working that, on this game for that long, and nobody had the guts know. to tell you, man, you should stop. Well, <laughs> apparently they did just stop because some of this shit just does it does not feel good to play. Like I don't like the moment I hate to moment. It it's just it's floaty and weird and hey did they ever speed up the transformations like we had no suggested? it's the same no. weird you know they, they're just, they take just as long and freeze you in place just as long um not it's the, the the demo is is it was a completely accurate reflection of the game wow i'm sad to say that is sad i really think his career might be over i don't know who would give him money after this i mean i'll be honest um, with you i would argue that he was pretty overrated to begin with i've never been like yuji naka is a god guy i was never a no huge i mean i, guy, I like sonic guy i mean i was i liked the first couple sonics i i the 2D first, games. first 2d stuff was fine it's first two sonics are great i love uh i love knights um i love uh i mean he was involved in fantasy star online i like yeah, that obviously and i'm obviously down with that so. um and that's Kind of it. He was very nice when I met him, and that's yeah, about all I got. Dude. Yeah, like uh, man can rock a cream-colored suit. I'll tell you that much. Um, I can't yeah, believe Square I mean, Enix gave this game the green light. I mean, they're as guilty as anybody else. They 
they gave this game a green light. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they just got suckered in by, you know, oh, that completely gibberish title uh, is absolutely on brand for Square Enix. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, so basically you're saying is if you played the demo and you hated it like we did, then mm-hmm. don't bother. Yeah, I there is... I, I have zero problem saying that this game is, you know, in the same way that it takes two is in the game of the year discussion already. <laughs> this is in the worst game of the year discussion already. Yeah. Um, and there's, an, there's a part of me that wants to say it didn't have to be. But then the other the other part of me says, but it was always going to be. Yeah. Um, but you kept an open mind. You bought it. I mean, I did. I mean, I, I love Yuji Naka um, stuff. I mean, when it's on, when it's firing on all cylinders. And like, yeah, I'll admit part of it was sort of like, oh, I'll throw him, I'll throw throw him, him a, a bone to, yeah. to support him. Because I, I, here's the thing. I, do I don't believe, with bands I don't believe it was made in bad and... faith. I don't believe it was like an intentionally made as a shovelware game or a bad guy. Like he was, it feels like the culmination of a lot of his favorite kind of like angles and tropes and ideas over the years kind of meshed together into one game. Uh, but none of it meshes, none of it was polished properly. And it feels like outside of the visuals and kind of the fidelity of the music, which may have been recorded with real instruments. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels archaic. Like yep. it just in, sure in a way in that demo. is not a compliment. It feels like you made an entire platform game out of the section of nights where you fall out of nights and have to walk around on the ground. Yep. Which is not a fun part of the game. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> well, there you go. That's Balan Wonderworld. Matt, I appreciate you jumping on that grenade, man. Um, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to play it. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I, I basically played this instead of Monster Hunter. Wow, and, that really uh, shows what you think of Monster Hunter. <laughs> it does. Uh, honest, honestly, I feel like I made the right decision for myself, yeah. uh, but not for anyone else. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Well, I appreciate it, man. There you go. As we guessed and thought, uh, Belong Wonderworld, a huge, huge pass. Yeah. All right. Huge Th- imagination on display, but just it's not fun to play. Yep. So we move on from the death of Yuji Naka's career to the death of several PlayStation platforms. It was announced in the last week that Sony is sending the PlayStation 3, the PSP, and the Vita out to pasture permanently. It's a little Mm -hmm. odd to me, Matt, that the PSP lived as long as the Vita and the PS3, for that matter. Um, It's crazy how long Sony was, like, letting the PSP live. I feel like I think that all that stuff was all just connected. You think? Like I feel like it's just yeah. I think the store and all that was just. I think the stores of all three of those systems were all just sort of interconnected in a way that you pull the plug on one, you pull the plug on all of them. Um, And just so you guys know what's going on, in case you missed it, um, every not everything is going away. Basically, the store is closing for those three platforms. You'll no longer be able to buy games for any of those three, and which makes me wonder, like, so. The PSP Go is dead. Yeah. Because it's download only. At least yeah. the PSP. I mean, you can still download stuff you bought, but you will yeah, never you be able to add games, another you can thing. You still download them, but otherwise you can't buy any new games for the PSP Go. And obviously UMDs do not work in the PSP Go. So, mm-hmm. um, and you do have some time. Uh, it's July 2nd, I believe, for... Yes. July 2nd for PSP and PS3. And then August 27th for the Vita. So they're giving the Vita an extra two months-ish over those other Because two Vita platforms. means life. <laughs> yeah. You can't kill it that easy. 
Um, and so as Matt said, you can, in fact, in fact, I'll just read this. This is like Sony's official statement. Um, let's see. Purch- purchasing di- digital content, making in-game purchases, and redeeming gift cards will be cut off. Uh, gift cards redeemed on those platforms will remain in the PSN wallet and can only be used for PS4 or PS5 content. Uh, you'll still be able to re-download previously purchased games, access previously purchased digital content, redeem games and PS Plus vouchers, and re-download free titles from PS Plus as long as your subscription is active. Um, but otherwise, they're being sent out to pasture. Matt, what's your final eulogy, eulogy for PlayStation Vita? <laughs> uh, nice try. I wish I knew where mine was. I, I'll just tell you, I finally boxed mine up. I cleaned it all up, um, found the box and all the packaging for it in my closet, um, and I put it all back together. Thing looks brand new. My packaging still looks brand new. Everything, I, ha- I have it complete, like every piece of everything that came with it, all the weird like AR stuff that launched. Like I had totally forgotten mm-hmm. even about like how they marketed the Vita when it was first announced and everything. Like I feel like none of that stuff was really realized. No. It, I know some people that love it, but I think a lot of people love it because it's jailbroken and they use it for like homebrew. Yeah, that, that and the emulator scene embraced it very much. The problem with the Vita, and I know I have it around here somewhere. I, just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's probably in a closet somewhere. Maybe it's maybe it's up in the nightstand. I don't know. The problem I had with it was that like uh, when it was launching, Sony came out and was just like, we realized that the mistake we made with the PSP was to just put a bunch of lesser versions of PlayStation 3 games on it. So like, what was the point of owning it? If you, if you had also had their console, you just play better versions of those games on that console. Why would you bother playing? You know, Nintendo's strength with the DS was that it had tons of stuff you could only play on the exclusives. DS. Yeah, the exclusives really dried up ex- for Vita real fast. Well, not just exclusives, but it, it had its own exclusive IPs. Right. Like if you wanted to play Fire Emblem nine times out of 10, you needed a Nintendo handheld, not yep. just a Nintendo system. You needed that to play Professor Layton. You needed yep. to play, uh, you know, Phoenix Wright. You need you know, it was it was a period not anymore, but it, there was a period there where like to play those games you had to have that platform with Vita with, with Vita it, it, or PlayStation pl- Portable. It felt like you were just playing sort of like gimped versions of games you already owned. And they said with Vita they were going to make a concerted effort to not have that happen and you know give it its own library, and they did not yeah, at they all. Could not is what it really and, came down to. They didn't have yeah, the bandwidth and in to, the be the end, to support it. It, it it just ended up being like a weird receptacle for like cross buy and like remote play. Yeah, like you, it, it, that was it. Like it had a really good launch. I had, you know had uh, Persona Four Golden, which was great. Um, I played uh, Shinobi Do a lot because that was sort of like a fake ass Tenchu clone. Yeah, uh, I think maybe by the same people that made Tenchu. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, Ninja Gaiden was great. Yeah, on it. Um, you know, early on it had some good stuff and then it just dried up and be, I mean, I guess there was a lot of stuff that were digital, it was digital only, but I guess I'll go through and check that before it shuts down. See if there's anything I want to get, but like, we're looking at like the launch lineup of the Vita right mm-hmm. now. And there were, there were a lot of games available yeah. for Vita at launch. Gold, Uncharted Golden Abyss was pretty good. Yeah. Um, the other, the other thing is, um, uh, Hmm. Now I forgot what I was saying. Oh. 
I was, gonna, I was saying, the, the I was thing is, check. is they released all these games at launch, and after that, it just felt like it was a drip of software releases yeah. from that point forward. It just lost all its momentum. It's also interesting watching all this early footage and seeing all the functionality of the Vita, like the touchscreen, like when they first launched it, like games made use of all that stuff, like the mm-hmm. back touch on it. Um, like they just showed a game that was like drawing and the gyro, like it had every little doodad kit of whatever that's been a part of video games for like the last like 15 or 20 years. It was all wrapped up into mm-hmm. a little handheld with an amazing screen. And they just, I think ultimately they just didn't have, I don't know if they didn't have the bandwidth to support it the way they needed to, or they just didn't have the the compulsion to support it the way that they needed to. Somewhat. Also, I think they, uh, they didn't have the motivation because I don't think it sold out of the gate on the level they thought it was going to. Um, and I remembered what I was thinking of, which was um, you had to buy that other fucking memory thing yeah. to save it. You know, it came with like no storage for like a memory. Card. Yeah, you had to buy Sony's like proprietary, only sold by them. Th- which, by the way, still hasn't dropped in price. Yeah, I only ever got one. I'm like, I can't afford it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah. You're already charging however many hundreds for the system, and then like you had to shell out at least a hundred for another for decently sized micro sd i think it was um or not even that it was some kind of proprietary version of that what a what a disaster that now, why was. why do you think they're sunsetting these platforms because to me it's like if you're gonna make this stuff available for download still why not make it available for sale like what is what skin off your ass is it gonna be if you leave this stuff up for sale you're, you could make money still like i see people in chat they're like oh crap like i need to go Pay for a bunch of PS1 games, you know, because that mm-hmm. PS1 stuff would works on some of these platforms. It's like, why would you close that off? It can't cost hardly any money to keep that that storefront up where you can buy stuff. It can't cost that much to store the games on a server somewhere. This stuff was all before games ballooned to like 100 gigs or whatever. Like, even at that, it doesn't cost anything. Like, I work with AWS for Sifted. Like, it costs nothing for online storage. I don't understand why they would even bother doing this. Like, why? I don't know. I mean, I, I will say I think they're going to sell a lot of stuff from it. Yeah, you think there'll so. be like a big rush of people buying yeah, stuff for it? For sure. Like a quick, it's going to be a quick boost of, of uh, sales that they wouldn't have made otherwise. And then they close the thing down, save a little money. And I guess that's the end of it. Do you think that's why they did it? Is there just want this last sales rush? Because maybe, maybe. it might be a point at which you're looking at the, the numbers on this thing. You're like, this is nothing. Like we've sold... We sold one Vita game in the last two months on this digital platform. If we just say we're going to shut it down, everyone's gonna, oh, people enough people run in, buy a bunch of stuff, and call it a day. The other and thing too is they pretty much down. gave away the entire Vita library on PlayStation Plus giveaways. Yeah, because for the longest time, every month they're giving you PS3 stuff and Vita stuff. And since there mm-hmm. aren't that many Vita games, like by default, I ended up with most of the Vita library, just claiming the stuff every month that they were giving away for free. Mm-hmm. And so that maybe that's why people weren't buying anything for Vita is because they gave it all away and they weren't making it anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I assume it's some kind of like, you know, higher management sort of like, oh, this thing's nothing. Just get rid of it. It just seems silly to me anyway. Like, it's just I don't understand the point of it. So why not just leave them up there? I I don't get it. But I don't know. They might be adjusting their their storefront thing so that you know, it's going to leave behind whatever versions of whatever security software they're using on the old storefronts. And it's either we got to either, you know, do an update to fix it on these, or we got to like shut them down. And they're like, we don't want to update this, you know, 
two generations gone thing, so just kill it. Now, I understand PSP and PS3 more than the Vita, because the Vita is still relevant. On the PlayStation 5, you can still use remote play with the Vita. Like, it's still a functional piece of hardware in Sony's ecosystem. So Yeah, but I, I have to believe that the, you're maybe talking about 1% of PS5 yeah. owners there. Yeah, of people who actually use remote play, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a big selling feature for PS5 at all, but there are people that use it, um, and it is still being used for that. So, like, the other two makes a little more sense. Vita, to me, doesn't make that much and sense. And you can still use it for that. I, you know, yeah. you, just, you just can't buy... God, I wish I could make a joke about what you would buy on a Vita. <laughs> I can't even think of it. I don't know. There's not, like I said, they gave it all away on PlayStation Plus, yeah. so there's very little reason. But... Uh, yeah, Vita, PS3, PSP, rest in peace. What do you remember most about the PSP, Matt? Um, I guess the main... Um, God, things I remember with the PSP. For it me, it's a, UMDs. Yeah, I mean, I remember the UMDs. A proprietary um, medium that was never used for anything else or on any other piece no, of hardware. I remember them trying to sell us a movie. Like somebody was like, yes, you know, for years, uh, the, the Best Buy here in Hollywood had like five 99 cent UMD copies of Hellboy. I still have, a, I have like 20 UMDs of movies or anime that Sony just sent I, me. I don't have any of them, but I like I got rid of those, but I do have, um, what if those are know, worth I, money now, actually, I got a lot of the, the games are right over there. I mean, I, I guess like one of the notable things about the PSP is the first place that we got, we actually got the original personas in one yeah, place that's true. and the original East games. Yeah. Uh, and remake good remakes of the East games too. PSP library um, was huge. PSP was yeah, very. It also successful. has. It also has one of the few systems that can claim this. It has a an exclusive uh, Star Wars game. What was that called? Star Wars Lethal Alliance. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, where you play as the the Twi'lek girl with the droid sidekick. It's yep. like a smuggle. It's one of the only Star Wars games. Uh, it's an exclusive. It was an. It's all original characters, and the character is not a Jedi. Wow. It's an extremely unusual Star Wars game. It's not very good uh, because it has the camera controls like almost every PSP game is garbage. Disaster. But yeah. uh, but it, it it was there. It's the only thing. It's the only thing it's ever been on. It's never been ported forward. Anything. It's probably the only place you're ever going to be able to play it. Yeah, I have. I mean, I did it. I for Sifted HQ. I did a Closet Raiders. I showed off a lot of my yeah. my PSP. I have an ungodly amount of UMDs. I have so many PSP games. Because it was while we were at X-Play, and they, they knew that we would review anything on X-Play. And so they were just sending me these UMDs of, like, these god-awful, like, ports for PSP, and we covered them mm -hmm. all. <laughs> I mean, right, right over here, I, I have, like, all those. And I, I have 15 Vita games sitting right there. I honestly, I think my stack of Vita games is, like, 8 or 10. Something I like got that. Street Fighter Cross Tekken and Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and uh, Ragnarok Odyssey. The Danganronpas, Freedom Wars. Uh, I think there's a Hot Shots Golf in there. Like I played a lot of Hot Shots Golf on not for nothing. Handhelds. That's pretty much You're what I used it for. Was there? to play Hot Shots Golf. That's pretty yeah. much it. Both the PSP of, my, and the Vita. Uh, and all my uh, my PSP games are under it. You got uh, the, the Personas and the East games. Monster Hunter Freedom Two. Why do I own that? Because um, you love Monster Hunter, and it segues uh, perfectly into our next topic. Uh, <laughs> Valkyrie Profile, Wipeout Pure, that was great. That was good, yeah. Um, yeah, Lunar, Lunar, Silver Star Story. There were so no many one, games no one, for PSP. No one ever thinks it's about insane. Lunar anymore. Yeah, it disappeared. Where are you, Vic Ireland? Yep. 
But I think we'll never get another Sony handheld either. I think that. No, uh, I, th- I think they learned their lesson. I think that on shit that. Is sailed. <laughs> yeah, I think it's over. Uh, so I mean, you, you can't go. say they didn't like give it a college try. They tried, um, and they gave it a good try. They released great hardware yeah. with the Vita, but yeah, Vita was a solid piece of hardware. Just they didn't. I think they, they gained a new appreciation for Nintendo through their handheld yeah. experiments because they're like, wow, Nintendo managed to sustain its console business and its handheld business, and we could not. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive what Nintendo did. And now Nintendo got really smart and just combined them both into one platform, so it only has to support one. It, it even wise up as well. So there you go. Yeah. The Sony, Jack- Sony's gone in the complete opposite direction and instead makes tables. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> PlayStation that- 5 can be eaten off of as a place setting, which is <laughs> pretty much the opposite of being portable. That's true. Uh, so there you go. The final nail in the coffins of the PSP, the Vita, and the PlayStation 3. And with that, it's time to move on to our last topic of Game Phase 249. You didn't even think there was room for another nail, but here we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the final one for sure. Um, And we're going to talk about Monster Hunter Rise, the brand new Monster Hunter game from Capcom, which is, for the time being, a Switch exclusive. And I mentioned earlier in the show, and I should probably just bring this up right out of the gate, how impressed I have been with this game visually. Um, I play this game, and I look over at my little Switch sitting there, and I am shocked that that little thing can put out the visuals that this game provides. Um, the monsters in this game look amazing. There's things, there's all kinds of crazy effects going on, like fur shading. Um, and best of all, and most impressive of all, is it runs steady. It's not 60 frames per second or anything. It's probably locked at 30, but it's locked. Like, I've never had any slowdown playing this game. And the creatures almost at all times, are bigger than the screen can hold. Um, and the other thing I'd say about this game is it's insane. Like, as you're playing this game, there is so much madness going on because you have the four hunters, so you and the three other people you're playing with online, and then each one of them have a pet that they take along with them. So when you play online, you can only take one pet with you, and you have to choose between either the dog or the cat. And when you play offline, you can take two pets with you. But So that's four characters and four pets all attacking these gigantic creatures. So there's lots of stuff going on. The worlds are big. Um, there's all kinds of reflections and stuff in the water and the puddles. It's an impressive-looking game, to say the least. Also, you're seeing right now character creation in this, pretty darn good. Uh, I was also impressed with that. Like, I managed to get pretty close to me. Um, but that's really what this game is about. And that is one thing that has not changed with, with this version of Monster Hunter. It is still essentially the same gameplay loop go out kill monsters pick up the drops take the drops back to your village go to the the smithing stations go to the customization stations and use what you picked up from your hunts to build new armor and new cosmetics that part of monster hunter has not changed and i think most people probably would be pissed off if it did change another thing about monster hunter that has not changed with monster hunter rise is the lack of a story uh, this cutscene that you're seeing right here is pretty much the only cutscene in the game. Um, you wake up, you're a hunter, the village is under attack by this thing called the Calamity. Um, basically, there's just a bunch of monsters that are marauding, trying to take down your village. Why? Who knows? Who cares? They don't explain it. It doesn't really matter. It's just an excuse for you to go out and kill monsters. Now, yeah, I mean, that's better than the than Monster Hunter Worlds where it was just like, we are here to study and respect all these creatures, which is why we're going to kill them all and wear their skins. 
And that's what this game is. I mean, one thing that is kind of cool about the franchise is the monsters that you kill are reflected in the items you can build with them. So if you kill a monster that's predominantly white, the armor that you end up building out of the drops from that from that monster look like that monster. The armor's white. Uh, same thing with all the things that you do with the weapons. They carry the theme from the creatures into mm-hmm. the cosmetics and the weapons and the armor that you get. That's good because um, that's in the past that has been sort of intermittent. Yeah, there that <laughs> even, is definitely even in the same game. Yeah, it's like oh, well, the Rathalos armor looks like the Rathalos, but everything else could be like who knows. There are a few changes to this game that I think Capcom has tried to sell as bigger changes than they ultimately are once you play the game. And the first are the buddies, the pets that I was talking about earlier. There are two types. There's a dog and there's a cat. Um, but there, there's much more to it than that. There is a, a hub just for the buddy stuff. And you can go and you can basically buy new buddies. You can get two for free when you start. You get one of each type for free. And you can crazy customize them however you want. And the customi- customization for the buddies, also really impressive, also <laughs> really in-depth. Also, the drop set you get and all that stuff that you gather as you play also goes into how you customize the buddies. But there's an entire hub for the buddies that you can go into where you can buy them, then you can train them, and then you can gear them up. It's like, you know, they all have different weapons as far as, like, the weapons that they hold in their mouths. Um, Who was it? Somebody somebody on Twitter, one of the, maybe it was Kanata, but somebody was just like, Monster Hunter Rise is just systems on systems on systems on systems on systems. Matt, it's Even insane. by Monster Hunter standards. Ma- it's insane, Matt. Like, I... I pity the fool who picks <laughs> this as the first Monster Hunter they're going to play. I have played I played World for probably 40 hours-ish. I played Monster Hunter Try, my guess, like 200 hours. I'm not even exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I played it a ton. And I still feel like a fish out of water playing this game. It is – it's insane. It's insane. They're – for anyone who's worried that they were going to oversimplify the Switch version, oh nope. no, this is Monster Hunter. Is it? Well, the, the other thing is like you had to only worry about this crap for your character before. Now you have yeah, to worry you about. Now you have two more, and the systems for them are just as deep. It's it's overwhelming. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'll when I first started playing this game, Matt, I could not even figure out how to start an online game. <laughs> I couldn't. I saw and I saw people asking that on Reddit. I couldn't figure out how to start an online game. I'm like, where do I go? And then I figured out, okay, because there's cats everywhere, and one cat will let you make tea that with this crazy little like mini game that you play. But then there's this other cat that's standing on a box, which is like the key to launching online games. So I found him, and then I'll say this: like the the server stuff and like what you can actually filter by is pretty great. Like you can filter by specific monsters. So like the missions are like kill this great baggie. So I was like, oh, I haven't killed the great baggie yet. I went to the cat on the box. I filtered by the great baggie and it returned results of the servers or the people who are just trying for that same hunt as me. So I figured all that stuff out. But then I was like, where do I go to actually start it? I could not figure out, like, how do I start the game? So if you join someone else's server and you're like, they're fighting the Great Baggy, I want to fight the Great Baggy, you appear in their world, you're like, where are they? Like, in the game, (laughs) seriously, though, like, it took me forever to figure out there's this whole other counter inside this building that you go to, and you have to go to the wall first and accept the quest that everybody is on, and then next to it, there's a curtain that you walk up to that you have to again accept to actually go into the mission and actually be with them. 
Now, one, mm-hmm. one drawback I'll say to the filtering, too, is it'll say, for instance, like I, I mentioned, they're hunting the great baggie. But there's like a lag with the servers. So it'll say they're hunting one monster. You choose that server. You load into their world. And, you, and again, you have to run from the cat on the box over to the other building with the wall in it where you have to initiate it. So you can't just be like going through a menu and be like, I want this server, launch it. No, you have to go away from the cat with the box, which is what you're seeing right now, <laughs> and then run over to this other building. And then initi- and then by then you're like, oh, wait a minute. They're not actually fighting the great baggie. They're fighting something else. Turn around, run back to the cat on the box, search again. There was times where I did that like five or six times where I actually got with other people who were hunting for the same creature that I was hunting for. It's it's archaic. Like it's they don't need it. Like literally, just give me a bunch of menus and just give me the launch button. So I, having to go over and see if they were actually fighting what the the server menu said that they were fighting, finding out they're not, running back to the box, doing it again, it started to become really annoying. And I don't understand why they designed it that way, but it is Monster Hunter, and it's very weird and very archaic. And this game is like that as well. I felt like mm-hmm. they were headed on the right track with World. Um, I felt like they streamlined a lot of stuff and made it more noob-friendly. This game, I feel like, just goes right back to the way it was before. Where everything is just really obtuse. Um, once you get out into the field, there are 14 different classes. And I will just say this. If you're going to play this game, pick a class and stick with it. Like, try a few at first to figure out what you want to play. But once you get to the point where you figured out, like, what you want to play as, just stay with it. Because it is a grind. It is a grind. Like, I don't want to play the single-player missions in this because they're freaking stupid. Like, go out, kill this monster, come back. It's, they're all really, I thought, were really easy, the single-player missions. I got tired of them really quickly. So I just wanted to play with other humans. That's what's fun about Monster Hunter. But, man, like, it is a grind. Like, I've played this game for I don't know how many hours at this point. I'm still, like, HR1. Like, still, I could only play, like, one-star quests. It's crazy because, again, you get to the point where you have, like, a few quests left that you have to knock off the list. You have to fight a specific monster. And you, you got start going through that process I was talking about with the servers. Like, oh, they're fighting that monster. Oh, no, they're not. Go back. Oh, this person's fighting that monster. Oh, no, they're not. Go back. And it becomes a pain in the ass. And then sometimes you finally do get into a mission where they're fighting the monster you want to, and you run all the way across the map to catch up to them, and right before you get to them, they kill the monster. And you don't get credit for killing the monster. It's... And look, people who have played Monster Hunter, they're not... They're familiar with this stuff. So, new features. The pets. The buddies, as I talked about. And they're pretty cool. You can... You can control them somewhat out in the field. You can give them basic commands, but you can really set them up how you want. You can make it so, and if you're playing by yourself and you have both of them out on missions with you, it is important that you set each one of them up separately. So maybe you set up one to help you attack and you set up the other one to heal you. And it's important because it's you by yourself. Once you get out in the field and you just have the one, they're they're really just kind of eye candy. Their attacks do so little. I honestly would recommend that you set them up for buffs more than anything Because the attack, the damage that they do is is so minuscule that it's more valuable for them to heal you or debuff you after an enemy has, like, inflicted you with poison or something like that than it is for them to help you in combat. So that is one sort of pro tip I would give you. Um, But they are cool. Like, the the customization of them is awesome and really in-depth. The training stuff, again, really in-depth. More layers to add on to an already complicated game. Some people are going to love it more than others. Your mileage is going to vary with it. And then the other new additions to it are traversal 
and and being able to ride and mount creatures and use them uh, in combat. And both of those are attacked to this new sort of silk mechanic where you pick up these silk bugs and then they give you the ability to kind of use a, a grapple hook, which now allows you to like scale up like crazy cliff faces. It, it, it helps a lot, actually. I'll be honest with you. And once you get good at it, too, like, when you're in combat, like, if you remember in Monster Hunter in the past, like, a monster would blow you back, like, 20 feet. You'd fly back, and you'd land, and you'd take, like, 10 seconds to stand up, and then, you know, maybe you have to use your health, and it's this whole, like, time-consuming thing. Once you get used to using, like, the, the hookshot stuff with the, silk, with the silk stuff, you can, like, when they knock you back, you can just immediately, like, hookshot, like, right back into the battle. I thought that was great. Um, you can also use it in combat. If an enemy is charging at you, you can just literally just grapple hook right over top of them and dodge them. You don't have to keep using the roll over and over. And then really the most important part, and what you're seeing right now in the B-roll, is this, the silk stuff lets you take over monsters. So you have attacks. They're called, look at my notes here. There's a very specific name for them. They're called silk bind attacks. And basically they're your specials. And as you go through the game, you you can build up more like silk worms or silk, whatever they're called, um, that govern silk like spiders. silk spiders or whatever they're called. They govern. I think they're spiders. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I you... did play the demo of this. Oh, okay. uh, so I'm familiar with that, but, uh, the demo most used confirmed, uh, that I fucking hate monster hunter. <laughs> like I hate playing this game. Like, uh, so, so I just decided to let you do that. Yeah. I'm not, I, well, you jumped on Balan, so yeah, I jumped I, on this. I honestly decided I'd rather spend money on Balan Wonderworld <laughs> than put myself through another Monster Hunter game that I knew I would, <laughs> wouldn't play for more than an hour. Um, so, yeah, that's where I... God, I hate this game. Well, like, well the Silk Bind even... attacks, they're like your specials. And you, get, you have a different attack for all 14 of the classes. And they're fun at first, and they're cool at first, and they do do a lot of damage. But the objective is to weaken the monster to the point where you can then use the silk stuff to mount them and use them either to finish them off because you can run them into objects and it takes off a huge amount of health or use them to attack the other monsters. And I will say this, it does add a lot of strategy to the combat in a game that needed it because this game can be a grind, like a big time grind. If, in its old no, form. and surely I mean, not. It still is a Monster be, Hunter game. <laughs> it still is, to be perfectly honest with you. But the silk stuff definitely does mix it up. Like the traversal, being able to scale huge walls and cliff faces. Um, you can. I mean, when you get good at it, you can literally almost Spider-Man mm. through the through the levels, which is pretty. I mean, cool. I like the the silk shot thing was cool. I the, being able to ride monsters. And, I mean, that should be right up my alley as a kaiju fan. Um, I just, I think, I think it controls like garbage. I just, a lot of it depends on the it. class that you choose. Which one were you playing as? Uh, I played as the long sword guy and That's the big the butcher one. knife and the big butcher knife guy. And I tried the archer guy and I tried, um, uh, like the fast dual wielding, the dual knife one. That's the dual blades. I think is probably one of the best the best classes to play as. As far as yeah, that was the closest combat. to enjoying it. I got, yeah, but everything else was just like, oh my god! I hit the button. And I'm still waiting for him to finish the fucking. It- and in the meantime, I've gotten hit twice by the thing. Like, and, oh, then, I the, and then the big sword gets stuck in the ground, and you're yeah. trying to pull it out of the ground. Then I'm like riding the, I, the the tutorial where I'm riding the the monster they teach me to ride. And I'm like, okay, finish him off. And I can't get him to turn around. Like he's like walking towards the camera, running into the wall. And I'm like, turn around. It's like, nope, the orientation of the controls is the other way. I'm like, well, then just make him move. Like yeah, I just, the, I thought the wyvern riding feels like I'm playing underwater. I hate it. I feel like the whole game in general is very 
opaque and hard to learn. Like the tutorials are like wordy and worded poorly. So it's hard to understand what they mean. Like it took me a long time to figure out how to, the Wyvern writing worked. Like how do I use like my silk bind attacks to weaken yeah. them down? How do I use them to trap him to the ground? So pe- other, like mm-hmm. all that stuff took way, like once I Well, figured- like even that was just like, it's like, oh, the silk, use the silk bind stuff to do the silk bind and get the silk bind thing on the thing. Like in the silk bind attack, we'll use it. I think you can do this silk bind or the yeah, other exactly. silk bind. Yeah, like, exactly. And I'm like, what? Like, are you, what the fuck is a silk bind attack? And then the crazy <laughs> part like, is once you learn how to do it, you're like, oh my God. You're like, oh, right. Like, really? That makes sense That's now, the best like, way you could explain how to do this crap? Like, it's just, it's like right. a brick Like once you wall. do the thing, you're like, oh, okay, I see what, what is it. Why did you spend three pages trying to yes, tell me like it's so easy i can explain it to somebody in like two sentences and why did you give me five pages to explain it like <laughs> it's like and that's the other thing like once you're out in the field there are so many modifier buttons and sometimes they change so sometimes you can hold like zl and you can cycle through the stuff in the bottom right hand of the screen your items and everything with the d the directional buttons but sometimes you have to like Hold it and then tap with like the Y and the A buttons to cycle through it. Like it's so obtuse and so complicated for a concept that is so simple. But I will say this like, as you start to play it and you get past like the 20 hour mark and you start playing with players who have been playing the crap out of it, you see that there's a reason for this stuff because it's a grindy game. And if you don't have that kind of stuff in it, people will just quit playing it. Let's be honest. Like, you have to have this stuff that takes a while to really understand and come to grips with or just learn the muscle memory from it. Otherwise, the game gets really boring really quickly. Um, So I understand why they do it, but this game is really kind of designed for people who are going to dedicate the dozens of hours. Like, Mm. I don't know. I'm 20, 30 hours into it. I don't see any end in sight for anything. either. The Because the online is discreet from the single player. And you can see, like, the missions that you need to complete. And, like, you'll get urgent missions out of nowhere. There's this whole other style of mission called Rampages that are, like, tower defense missions. I guess you didn't get to play that. It's not in the demo. Mm-hmm. But it's the I'll be honest. It's the only part that actually mentions the plot that the creatures yeah. are trying to attack your village. Oh, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the trailer. The trailer made it seem like there was a fair amount of story going to happen. No. It's just but, like every other Monster Hunter. There is none. Yeah. The only part where the story is actually explored is in these rampage segments, where which literally are tower defense. You have like I, these ballistas. You, I, I think they kind of missed the. I mean, I thought you could do anything about it, but it's too bad they didn't get this out a year ago because like this would have been a good quarantine game. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge time suck. I mean, I feel like I've okay, done. Okay, we had no- Animal Crossing. It's fine. I but feel like, like I've done nothing. I have like, <laughs> I have like two and a half armor sets at this point, and I've played it for like almost thirty hours. Like it's such a grind. I yeah. The rampage I, stuff was I, cool the first time I played it, but then you kind of figure out how to cheese it, and then it just kind of loses its alarm, its allure. Um, one thing that was cool though, like. Again, it does actually address the story, which is the creatures are trying to attack the village and you're defending the village. And the other cool part about it is the people in the village, who you never see unless you're in the village, actually take part in the rampages. So you see, like, these people who have been sort of mentioned to be these badasses. You finally see them in action, and then they get tossed around like ragdolls or whatever. But <laughs> at least they're actually involved in, like, the combat. Yeah, in they some showed way. up. That counts. Yeah. Um and I did enjoy the Rampage stuff the first couple times, but again, then I kind of figured out how to jimmy it to get through the stuff. Um, it was more fun failing at the Rampages than succeeding at them, if that makes sense. 
um, because I was actually trying different stuff. And then when I figured out there was one way to kind of complete them, I just kind of stuck with that. And then I, they kind of lost their charm as well. Um, but, you know, the battles drag on way too long. The monsters have way too many hit points. Like, it's just, it's absurd. It's like if I struck a monster that's like eight feet tall with a sword the size of a Volkswagen like 85 times, there's going to be nothing left of that monster. They're going to be mincemeat. But some of these animals have like these crazy defense ratings or armor ratings where you just whack them for like, it seems like forever. Like it's so there's like for most missions there's like a 50 minute time limit. When you first start the game, you laugh at that. You're like, oh, okay, like 50 minutes. Like they need to mention that later on in the game. You start to understand why because you're chipping these things down for forever. I mean, look, anyone who's played Monster Hunter, they're probably sitting there right now. Yeah, that's Monster Hunter, Shane. Yeah, that's freaking Monster Hunter, Shane. What are you talking about? It is. It is Monster Hunter. I keep hoping that with every entry, when they do add new stuff that it will kind of transcend that and it'll become something that I enjoy more than I do. And it with this game, mm. it just has not happened. It Well, that, that did happen for me, and it was called Dragon's Dogma. Wow. Oh. Um, which is I consider a refinement of the Monster Hunter idea and is something that I find playable. Um, I, I Monster Hunter is not for me, and I am at peace with that at this point. Like, I wish it was because I like the concept and I like the idea of, like, killing these monsters, hunting these monsters down and using them to craft, like, you know, items and, and gear that like looks clearly looks like it came from the monster and sort of like, like, I like all that. I played monster. I also played monster Hunter try probably a hundred, 150 hours with my online group and stuff. I never liked it once, and but not like much we has all changed since then, Matt, like it's crazy. Everyone wanted to play it. So I played it and I just sort of went along with it. And I never really felt like I learned what I was doing properly. I just sort of went with it. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell. If you came to me and said, like, well, how would you fix Monster Hunter so you'd like it? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think it's just not for me. Like, don't fix it for me. It's just, yeah. I need to find something else to do. And like, I don't begrudge people who like this, but I'm just telling you, it's the same. So if you liked it before, mm-hmm. you're going to like it here, and you'll probably like it more because there are new elements that do make appreciable improvements to the formula. Yeah. So, I like the I like the cha- I mean I like the idea of writing stuff. I didn't enjoy doing it when I did it in the t- demo, but like that's a cool idea. Like the 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 Spider Man stuff is cool. Like that worked well. Um, I like the ex- you know two pets. I like the adding of the dog. I mean I already liked having the cat. I like having the dog and be able to ride the dog and like like that's all cool. Like I I, I like all the changes that I saw and all the little additions and stuff. It's just I still find the the my you know I find I feel like I'm trying to play the game through a wall. Like, I, I hate the the way the, the controls work. I agree. I mean, the, look, even with the best of the 14 classes, the controls are still clunky and can feel a little unresponsive or a little wild, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I never quite feel in... I, it, it feels too slow and also, like, too independent of what I am trying to do. It feels do. like the it's, monsters are way more nimble than I am. And these monsters yeah. are, like gigantic like (laughs) how do they move like more quickly and adeptly than i do and i'll say this like once you get used to the silk stuff you it improves because you start to learn how to like use it to like evade over top of them and drop down behind them and stuff like that but it is a really steep learning curve learning all the systems learning how to do stuff in the field like for a noob just learning how to take a potion out in the field (laughs) Holding the Z left and then using the D-pad to, like, cycle through the stuff along the little menu. And then hitting up, like, everything about it is just this 
archaic and weird. Yeah. It's a very Japanese game. There's very there's a lot of weird parts about it. Like the presentation's weird and like there's lots of posing like we talk about a lot on mm-hmm. Game Face with Japanese yeah, games. And I've, and I've watched like you know some videos of like people doing like you know big combos or like fighting the thing. It's like cool, but for me it's like it's like watching like Tony Hawk do a 900. It's like, well, that's neat. I'll never be able to do that. <laughs> but, but it's sure cool that yeah. you can. Like I don't know what else to tell you. But it's like bizarre cuz it's like with Tony Hawk it's a feat of athleticism that like you'd have to spend your whole life, you know, and maybe even have a genetic advantage to do. And with this, it's just like, well, if I just played this long enough, I'd probably be able to do that, but uh, I'm not gonna. So the end of it. I mean, the other thing too is there's lots of ways that you can play the game. Like, I, there's some people you play with who just trap. You know, they're like mm-hmm. they use like lures. You can use lures to like get the monsters to fight each other. Um, some people yeah. throw down oh, a lot of traps. One, oh, actually, the other one I used was uh, I think it was a lancer or something. It's like. Because the description said, like, you use it to build up the power of the weapon, and then you use it to use the weapon when it's charged to, like, basically do, like, a one big big damage attack. Mm. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, that sounds like something I could handle. And I still don't understand what the fuck I'm doing. I, just, it's like that, I feel like there's no feedback. I feel like I don't, it, like, there's, I feel like I'm not doing any damage to anything when I touch them. Like, You're not. It's just, I mean, it's just. That's why they don't show you the health bars on the monster. Yeah. Yet. Exactly it just all feels why. so inconsequential from moment to moment, and I just don't. That's why they don't show you the health bar because if you could see it, you would. Most people would quit playing it. I think. Yeah, I just, like, I just find that I find all the Monster Hunter games I've played to be just the most dismal at do, get, giving player feedback. I don't. I don't. I, I don't feel. That's the thing is like even when I played like Monster Hunter Try as long as I did, I didn't feel like I was learning anything from it. Like I didn't feel. I felt like the only, the only way to learn anything was to go look shit up online for other people who just experimented with it for hours and hours. It didn't feel like. It felt like they always feels like Monster Hunter has no interest in teaching me how to play it. Yep. Even when it's trying to teach me how to play it. Yeah. <laughs> I was very. I felt the first three or four hours playing this game, I was very frustrated. Between just learning how to play online and how to like mm. actually make progress, that's the big problem is making progress. Because the other part of it too is you have to do very specific things to get good drops. So if you're not using the silk stuff and someone isn't using the wyvern writing, that's how you get the good drops. You have to use the wyvern writing and the silk binding attacks to... Because if, as you attack the monsters with those attacks, they'll leave drops. It'll be like material from that creature. That's how you get the stuff that you need. It's also so random. It's like you'll go back and you'll be like, oh, I need this one thing to finish this armor set. It's like a scale or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have to go fight, find that monster, fight him, hope that he drops that freaking scale when you kill him. So then you have to make sure that you're using the silk binding stuff because you'll get more drops that way. There's like a whole formula under the hood of maximizing each hunt to make sure you get as many drops as possible. None of that stuff is ever explained. And the other problem is what would help this game a lot is if there was voice chat so you could ask people. So like when I was first trying to figure out how to play online, I was like, okay, I found the cat on the box. I sorted the servers. I found the server I want. I spawned in that server. I'm in the world. And there's just some dude standing there. And I'm like, I'm using like the, the quick chat commands being like, let's go. Let's go. I'm ready to go. Let's go. And he's just like freaking ignoring me. And I just want to be able to ask him like, where do I go to join the hunt? Someone tell me. Like, and you can't. There's no chat in this game at all. So that's the other thing. A game that's this complicated and this obtuse, opaque, has to have voice chat. It just has to. That's a huge, huge problem. If there's one game that Nintendo, for a third-party game, Nintendo should have set up voice chat for, it's this one. 
Like, it needs it bad. And I'll say this. There are tons of, like, shortcuts. Like, you can say a lot of stuff. Like, there's, like, two or three pages of it. But there's not something for everything. There's no way to ask people questions for help. Like, how did you do that? Like, you'll be out on a hunt. You'll see somebody do something that you've never done before, you've never seen before. And one, sometimes you don't even know what it is. And two, you're like, how did you do it? You can't ask Mm. them. There's no way. Like, it takes away a lot of the community elements of it and just makes it frustrating. Um, So I think most people at this point know what they're getting into with Monster Hunter in general, not just with this one. And I think maybe the most important thing that people need to know is that the game has not changed all that much from the prior Monster Hunter game. So if you're like me and you kind of enjoy them, but there's a certain point where you just kind of burn out on it, the same thing's going to happen with this one. And if you've never liked them and you're hoping that this is the one that puts you over the top and they made all these changes and it's going to get you to really enjoy it, it's not. If you're a Monster Hunter lover, it's the best Monster Hunter ever. That's the truth. It is. It's the best. It's better than World. It's the best Monster Hunter game ever. If chat was in there, voice chat, it would win hands down. Um, but otherwise, I mean, legitimately, it's the best Monster Hunter ever made. So... If you like the franchise, go buy it. It's a no-brainer. You're going to love it. You're going to play it for 100 and some hours. There's, there's already a new endgame content coming in April. They're going to support the living tar out of this game, just like they did with World. Um, so you're not going to have to worry about like buying it and then you know, finishing it a month later and having nothing to do. That's the other thing. You get a lot of value out of this game. It's like literally like the campaign, the single player is 50 hours. You can play the multiplayer for like ever. So... If you're looking for a great value on your Switch, it's, an, it's a good pick as well. Um, it's just very grindy and very repetitive and just expect to deal with the big learning curve in nearly every facet of the game. Matt, I could not figure out how. So, like I said, you can only take one of your buddies with you, one buddy type, on the multiplayer missions. And the cat kept going with me. And the cat, my cat, <laughs> is like, he's a buff guy. Like, he gives me buffs and removes buffs from me. Like, when I'm fighting with other people, I need, like, an attack buddy. I, it took me forever to figure out how to make it so the dog went with me instead of the cat. I had to Google it three times. No guide would say where what where you went to do it or how you did it. I found one guide finally that mentioned it. I was like, thank God. And then I went to the menu and tried to do it, and I could not figure out how to do it in the menu. And I just started hitting buttons, and eventually, like, the cat disappeared, and I selected the dog, and I was like, thank God. Like, that's how this game is. It's, it's crazy. But, again... Monster Hunter fans, going to eat it up, going to love it, best ever. Someone who just wants a lot of value out of their 50 60 bucks, you're probably going to love it too, although it's grindy AF. All right, that's it for Monster Hunter Rise. It's time for some Q&A. Let's see what you guys got for us here. Um, you guys are probably wondering when I was going to shut up and just didn't ask any questions yet. Go at Sifted Games uh, so we can pick it out of the chat. Uh, let's see, Vincent kicking it off. Um, how does Belong compare to Square Enix's other poor publishing decisions, like The Quiet Man, Left Alive, or Fear Effect Sedna? Good question. Mm. Um, I honestly can look at Quiet Man and um, Left Alive and kind of see what they're thinking. Uh, Fear Effect, I like the Fear of, old Fear Effect games. I, I didn't think it made a lot of sense to try to resurrect it. I didn't think Sedna was terrible. I don't know what a, I. I mean, I played two of those games. This game, based upon what I played, is way worse. <laughs> two yeah, than I played. Although Sedna's pretty bad. Sedna's pretty bad. I Quiet Man is bad, but like you look at it and you're like, 
like I can see sitting in the pitch meeting and buying this as a concept. Like, bow, I cannot understand. Like, I'm trying to imagine being pitched Balan Wonderland or Wonder World or whatever it is. <laughs> I do the same thing. I can't even remember the fucking name of the game. I can't. Um, I do the same thing. It's like Disney. And, and like, I'm trying to picture looking at that because part of me, the, the fan of Knights and stuff and Sonic would look at that and be like, oh, I, I see the influence there. I, that's cool. Um, you realize no one is going to want this, right? Like, it, like I don't understand what. I mean, I, I, I wonder if there's some kind of like you know Naka's reputation thing at play here. Um, if it's like a respect thing, like that you can't say that someone who created Sonic the Hedgehog is completely off his rocker. On this thing, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why this game exists. I don't know why they named the company after it. Matt, what um, do you think the uh, Metacritic's going to be for this game when it's all said? Oh, uh, for this? I, for 30. Ballon, three? That's what I think. I think it's going to be in the 30s. Yeah. That's how bad it is. Dude, there are... but, did you, but did you see that it's getting reversed review bombed? No, people are giving it's, it high people like, are, user People scores. are review bombing it with 10s. As like an, I guess like are an ironic trolling, troll or are they really thing. Like, are they angry that people think it's bad? No, it's, it's think, I think it's a joke. Oh, okay. I think it's like a meta thing, and like because all the all the reviews are about the same. Now he's gonna think that like, well, the fans liked it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a play on that thing where like uh, you you get, you know, it's it's like the reverse uh, Last Jedi. People are mean. Where the critics loved it, and the and the and it's funny, almost everyone almost everyone loved 10. the Last Jedi, but there's a, <laughs> a contingent of people who have time to review bomb something that did not. So. Uh, let's see. It's the new Knack, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Except Knack was a competently made game. Um, oh, here's a good one from a bunch of jerks. Any thoughts on the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie? I thought the trailer was terrible, and it made me laugh. The but, new one? Yeah. I didn't see the new trailer. Um, I mean, I just, I, I mean, the first trailer for the new movie. Oh. I mean, I, I felt like Mortal Kombat to me. I mean, um, it looked corny and cheesy as crap. Yeah, but I mean that's that's Mortal Kombat. It is. Uh, I like that when he made the sword out of the guy's blood. That's about that. That kind of like that. That kind of nails what Mortal Kombat, the cheese level of what Mortal Kombat should be. Um, I mean, I'll watch it. Why not? It looks pretty I bad. I think I, I saw hmm? the response to it online was like overwhelmingly positive, and I was like, "You people are on drugs. Like this thing looks terrible." I thought it looked terrible. I mean, there were people who liked the Snyder Cut too. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, let's see. Uh, Justin Horman has the Ninja Gaiden Master Collection being based on the Sigma versions affected uh, any interest you might have had in it. Well, of course, y'all know I love Ninja Gaiden Sigma because I worked on the documentary for it. I'm kidding. Um, I mean, I I honestly don't get the hate for Sigma. I do. That makes it a pass for me. Really. Yeah. What? Why do you the, make, the, What makes you hate the Sigma version so much? Uh, the changes to the combats is is are bad. Um, Ninja got in two in particular. Uh, they ruin the they ruin the game. So the, the, the Sigma on on the first one is fine. Ninja got in black is better, but Sigma's fine. Dude, I mean, how I, about I them losing the code to black? Yeah. Wow. What the fuck? What? I mean, how do you do? What actually, a disaster! Having spent two weeks with Team Ninja. I absolutely know how they could do that. They yeah, were, I mean, yeah, true. Uh, they also completely like, disorganized and drunk half look, the time. Tons of, tons of code have been lost by Japanese game studios. There was not a huge emphasis towards preservation 
in, in on that side of the pond for some reason. Um, some very important games have been, you know, Pondragoon Saga, it's gone. Um, so it doesn't completely shock me. I just, you know, and and look, the 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 normal versions are are you know black, and the 360 version of of two are backwards compatible and and look great on Xbox One and Xbox Series X. Um, so if you want to play them, you can play those. Uh, they're available for not a ridiculous amount of money uh, digitally. Um, they go on sale pretty regularly. Uh, you know, there's no there's no tragedy there really, but like. Ninja Gaiden 2 Sigma is a, is an inferior game. Uh, they removed all the blood stuff. They, they toned all that down. They changed the enemy position. It's an easier game because of it. Um, and a lot of it was changed because the PlayStation 3 just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had to strip well, some stuff out to make could, it run well. Team Ninja wasn't going to write to the metal on the PS3. Right. <laughs> well, because <laughs> yeah, you already had the game. Like it was, you know, porting stuff to the PS3 was a lot harder than writing writing it from the ground up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can find the uh, video comparisons, uh, on YouTube of like, you know, two versus Sigma and like the difference is stark. Um, it's a shame really, uh, that they, they couldn't have the, the original there. Cause at least a way to play it outside of the Xbox, you know, environment. Yep. But, uh, it's crazy. Is, though, it, I, I would be like more that upset. Lost hmm? their code. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be more upset if uh, if there was no way to play Ninja Gaiden Black and um, and uh, two. Now, if it was like if there was no backwards compatibility, if there was just no way to play it without the original hardware, that would be more of a tragedy to me. This is just sort of like, well, I mean, I think we all kind of expected it to some degree anyway uh, to be Sigma, but like, you know, whatever. They call it the definitive versions of the games. Yeah, well, they're full <laughs> of shit. Um, here's one from EDH420, uh, with online gaming suffering from toxicity, making Shane not wanting to use his headset for multiplayer, can Sifted start private game servers reserved for Sifted members and their friends? Interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys ever search for stuff, um, when you're playing games (laughs) online, but anytime I play an online game, I create a clan for Sifted. Um, and usually you should be able to search it by Sifted and you should be able to find it. I think some people found our clan for uh, the Division 2. Um, because when I played it, no one was in the clan but me. And then as I said in a prior episode of Game Phase, I re-downloaded it to play it with my buddy in Philadelphia. And I noticed that there were now people in the clan. So some people have found it. Um, I always always create a clan tag for Sifted as well. And if they only lay out four letters, I, it's usually SFTD. Uh, like uh, Modern Warfare, the clan tag for Sifted is SFTD. Uh, so always be willing to join that stuff. As far as like creating um, Sifted servers, I would be open to that. Uh, but I think generally the big problem is getting people to show up to play together. Um, like Monster Hunter World or Rise, you don't set up like a server and it stays there. It's like an instance server. So you you set it up while you're playing, and then when you're done, it's gone. It's not like there permanently. So. I would be open to that if I played MMOs, which I don't. Um, or if I played like if I kept playing Valheim, I would definitely be willing to set up like a Sifted server for that. Uh, but I've actually moved off of that now. Um, but uh, there is a Sifted server for Valheim. I created one. I think it may be called Sifted Land or something like that. And I created one for Animal Crossing um, on Switch. So I do do it from time to time, and I also always leave it open so you guys don't need a password to get in. Um, so I do do that stuff. I do look out for you guys, but then I wonder if any of you guys ever discover it or ever find any of it. So uh, I guess that's the best way I could answer it. Thanks for asking, though. Uh, Minority Games, should I wait for the PC release of Monster Hunter Rise? I would say this. 
playing it with a keyboard would probably be a lot better than having to hold like a button and then like scroll with other buttons. So I think the PC version will probably be the superior version. But then at the same time, I don't know if I'd want to control it with a mouse and keyboard, the actual combat of it. It'll look better, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. If you're not a big Monster Hunter player, I would recommend not playing it at all. <laughs> but if you if you are a Monster Hunter guy and you really want to play it, like just play it on Switch. Like By the time it comes out for PC, it's going to be yesterday's news. It'll find a new audience there, I'm sure. Um, but by then, are you going to care that much about it? I don't know. I mean, maybe the other part of it is when it comes out for PC – all the DLC will probably be available for it already. My guess is, and I don't know this, maybe they've announced it, but I haven't seen it. My guess is it's probably a Switch exclusive for a year. Um, so if you feel like you can wait that long, sure, it's going to look better, look, maybe play better, and everything will be there. Um, you won't have to wait for like the, the post-game content like the Switch owners are going to have to. Uh, but otherwise, if you just are a big fan, like play it on Switch. Like it looks. That's the other thing. Like I should have hit, hit on that again is how good the game looks on Switch. I, I really can't oversell it. It's one of the Switch's best-looking games, hands down, and that includes stuff like Doom Eternal. So um, they did an amazing job with the tech on it. That RE engine, Matt, is pretty good, man. Yeah. I was actually it does surprised. Look good. I'm like, it, it boosts up. It says RE engine. I'm like, they used the RE engine on this Switch game? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like, it scales well, and it looks pretty damn good. So they got something there, Capcom. Yeah. Piece of hell out of the Frostbite, too. Yep. Uh, Zet Saber Juno. Dark Forest 256. Thank you for Twitch Prime, by the way. Thanks to everybody who subscribed with Twitch Prime. Uh, my wife let the iPad die and didn't charge it up. And <laughs> I grabbed it on the way out, and I got here. It was completely dead. So by the time we got to the end of the show, the iPad was completely dead. So I wasn't able to follow any of that stuff. Um, and I just opened up the app on my phone to answer questions from you guys. So I'm sorry I missed uh, all the Twitch Prime at the early part of the show. If you want to do it now, though, you will definitely get a thanks live on the show. Um, and, I mean, you kind of already said it, Matt. What do you think of the Snyder Cut? Um, I, I thought it was absolute garbage. It's it's better than the theatrical one uh, because it's not a tonal whiplash nonsense. The theatrical version of Justice League, you can pretty much hear the executives with marketing degrees like giving the notes of the things that should be changed and have to happen and having watched the Snyder cut, like I under, I'm not supporting it, but like having been in meetings with executives that don't know anything, I see where their ideas of what to cut and how came from because of how I know people like that watch, you know, watch rough cuts of movies. Um, that doesn't make it a good idea. And certainly the execution was not good on Whedon or whoever's part. Uh, so the Snyder cut is a more coherent tonally thematically and tonally is more coherent. Um, I just find the themes and tone to be terrible and uh, the storytelling to be inept. And I got absolutely nothing out of it except um, just, uh, it's just astounding that it exists and that they spent that much about amount of money for what amounts to basically nothing. I only made it about 90 minutes in, and it wasn't different enough. I finished. I mean, it's not very different. I don't, people give it tons of weird – I mean, it, I mean this particularly, but also for like most of people who like Snyder's stuff, um, which I don't like anything he's ever made, except I kind of like the Owl movie, um, which no one remembers. He made the Guardians of Gahul yeah. movie. Uh, but um, – the uh, people constantly say like, "Oh, I, I, you know, I like, I love Snyder's," and they'll tell me why, and it's usually something that is like literally not in the film. 
And I'm like, I don't know where you're getting at. Like, okay. But like, it happens with this. It's like, oh, everyone seems like much more like well-drawn characters and there's so so much human human element to it. I'm like, there's no, nothing human in this movie at all. Like, it's astoundingly bad. Um, it's it's uh, I just remember it's too very much weird. Of it. Like, I... Of course. It like, hasn't been long of, enough. Like the I, first act is almost two hours long. He has no sense of how to tell a story, no sense of pacing. And I'll tell you this much. A lot of the stuff is in there. shouldn't be in there. Like there's a reason assembly cuts are as long as they are. And final cuts tend to be about an hour and a half to two hours. The reason that most movies are an hour and a half to two hours is not that like there's some kind of weird restriction on how long a movie can be from the studios. It's because that's about how long it takes a competent storyteller to tell to most tell stories. Story. Yeah. Um, like, why is the scene where Superman arrives to see Alfred in that movie? I'll tell you why. Because there were screenshots of it released uh, showing that it was a scene that was cut from the original theatrical version. And so he knew that if like... he didn't put that in there, everyone would scream about how it was censored or some shit. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that's, you know, why is Martian Manhunter in there instead of a Green Lantern? Because the Green Lantern would make a lot more sense rather than have Martian Manhunter sit there and have not helped for the whole fucking film. But it's there because he showed designs of his Martian Manhunter, and he knew he had to put him in there. Everyone would scream about where's the Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Like you can talk about his vision all you want, but it was all pandering to his his fan base. And uh, I mean, I guess I'm happy they got what they got. I am happy that he got to finish that movie out because obviously the original version of the movie was part of a horrible tragedy in his family, and he had to pull away from it. And 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 look, I hate everything he's ever made, but what the studio then did to his movie was a, was a hack butcher job. Like there's no question about that. The theatrical version of justice league is, is terrible. Um, Snyder cut is also terrible in a different way, but at least he got to finish it. He got to dedicate it to his daughter. He got to like have probably, I hope some closure on that situation from it. And yeah. like, that's cool. Like, um, you know, by, I, I, I hope seem needless to me, like I, it is needless. I watched 90 I, I, minutes I, I, of it. I, I, I'm I, like, I know what's happening next and nothing's changing. So of course, of course later. it's needless. It's all needless. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's very self congratulatory and weirdly exposing of his constant flaws as a filmmaker. Um, I think he's a born second unit director, but he should never be in charge of character or storytelling. Um, but I hope he got like some kind of closure out of it and was able to close that part of his life you know, satisfactorily or, or in some way that gave him some peace. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem like a bad dude. Yeah, I just exactly. don't like his work. Yeah. Um, and I hope, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see what his, the new zombie movie uh, he's doing for Netflix, Army of the Dead. That's that's April um, next month. Hopefully uh, that'll be less than two hours long. It'll probably be less than two hours long. <laughs> I'm also curious because it is being written by the guy who's writing the next Transformers movie. Oh. Um, I, I mean, it was original concept, original screenplay by Zach. Uh, and then this guy like kind of came in and did a final pass on it, I think. So it's not all his. Mm -hmm. um, he, he was just sort of the cleanup hitter. But uh, I'm just I'm just interested to see how this guy does that, because he he is working on a movie that then I'm going to have some investment in. Um, I, I don't know. Like I the DC stuff is, is a mess. Um, if I do think you know, everyone's talking about restore the Snyderverse and like, you know, bring him back to do more or whatever. I right now, I think Warner Brothers is, is not going to do that. But I will say this. If Black Adam and the Flash movie do not hit big. I think there will be a shakeup in the Warner Brothers executive wing. And I think the new people who come in will have no better ideas than to come crawling back to Zack Snyder and beg him to make another movie for them. Because like it or not, this was a big story. It was a big story. I don't think it was a big success. Like all the data seems to indicate that it was not particularly widely viewed. 
And I think one of the most damning things was like people go around saying 1.8 million viewers um, from this one uh, one source that was out there. Um, but that source specifically said 1.8 million viewers watched at least five minutes of it over the course of the first weekend, yeah. um, which is oh, leaving yourself a whole lot of wiggle room for a four-hour film. I didn't finish it, um, so I'm one of those I did finish who it. I mean, counted I, I, that probably shouldn't have counted. I took I took a uh, I took a, an intermission where the intermission happens in the theatrical version. Like if, if you watch that movie in theaters, because there are places that are playing it in IMAX theaters, uh, if you can find one, um, there's an intermission between uh, chapters four and five or part four and part five, which is where I took like a 30 minute break um, for the full experience um i'm taking a two-week break so but yeah <laughs> I'm, like, not I mean, I'm not going to tell you to finish it it's it's terrible but like um but i did yeah. go through the whole thing uh there is stuff that i liked in the end like the big final fight i thought uh the fight with the fighting with steppenwolf was better there um it felt like the the, the characters were all fighting together as a team which was clearly the point of the movie because as far as i can tell the only the only thing the movie really has to say is uh, powerful people don't owe anyone anything, and we should all stoop in reverence when they decide to help us for anything, um, uh, which is not stalking from someone who wants to do a, an adaptation of The Fountainhead, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, if you run into a problem that's too big for you to solve, you get a bunch of other people together and hope that you punch hard enough to get rid of it. And if that doesn't work, resurrect God. Um, and But like when Superman shows up, like it's a much more satisfying arrival then in the theatrical, the fight he has with Steppenwolf is, feels much more like a Superman fight because he's, you know, flying and punching and doing his, you know, you know, uh, Zach understands how action works, even if he doesn't understand how story works. So that all was fun to see. Um, it's also sort of funny because it's like it really does highlight how powerful Superman and it feels satisfying in that regard. But it also sort of gets unintentionally points out you don't really need anyone else if you got Superman. No, you never should. That's the only I mean, of Flash Superman. I mean, Flash plays a key role there, but if they'd had Superman from the beginning, he wouldn't have needed to do that. That's um, why I think Superman in some ways is like the worst superhero ever, because realistically... There are there are several really great Superman stories, but the problem is that Superman stories at their best are aspirational stories, right. and there's nothing aspirational about Zack Snyder's take on no, superheroes. It's just sort of abysmally depressing and like there's this that weird theme of like anything good you do is going to have a bad consequence for someone possibly yourself um which somehow is the moral lesson imparted to clark kent from the kents in this <laughs> continuity which is madness to me like i just yeah. okay sure um you know, you got Wonder Woman splattering guys' brains out on the wall of the bank and then turn into a kid and saying she can be anything she wants. And I'm just like, unless you, that guy, because he's dead uh, in front of a bunch of children. <laughs> Matt, I think your um, take on uh, this movie is about as rambling as the movie at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, I don't know. I think it's still a little more coherent than the first act. <laughs> no, it's way more coherent, but almost It's funny that, like, when, when my friends who watched it, we watched it, a big Zoom watch with it, and, like, we were trying to talk about it afterwards, we had a lot of trouble talking about the first act because no one could remember what order anything happened in. Yeah. Because it's almost edited. Like that and Batman, his first acts are always weird. And like he does, I don't think he cares about setting stuff up. He just wants to get to the good shit. Mm -hmm. um, Batman versus Superman was like that too. It was like somebody wrote all the scenes on magnets and just threw them at a refrigerator. And that was just the order they got <laughs> edited in. Um, I, it's like I how mean, I, I write could, poems, Matt, with those little yeah. magnets with words. Magnetic poetry, basically. <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, I could probably go on for as long as the movie did yeah. for like all the weird things. You know, you can't say there's nothing to talk about. I guess. 
Um, but it's not all, good. I, That's the problem. No, it's not. But all in all, like my only reaction is like, um, can we be done now yeah. with that? Can we can we move on and try to make some decent DC movies that other than um, seems easier said than done, Matt. Other than Birds of Prey and Wonder, the first Wonder Woman, which I don't even think that was all that solid. Once you got to Act Three, um, I don't understand why. I mean, I do understand because Marvel Studios is run by a bunch of people that are basically creatively autonom- autonomous, and the DC movies are made by Warner Brothers suits, uh, calling the shots over people who are not really. Um, I mean, Zach was empowered to do what he wanted to do, but what he wanted to do was mostly wrong for the material. Um, and I think audiences prove that because the first live action team up, uh, our appearance together of Batman and, and Superman didn't even make as much as the Black Panther movie, which if you told me that, I mean, and, and then the Aquaman movie, once you get Zach out of the picture, the Aquaman movie made a billion dollars, which somewhere must still give <laughs> aneurysms to some marketing people over there because a decade earlier, the fa- the idea of making an Aquaman movie was a running gag on Entourage for like three seasons. Well, that's all because of the star. All the women went to see him and blah, blah, blah. You don't get there just for that. It was also, it was also the video. Aqua- Aquaman's a Look, that's it's not just My mom just is that. like obsessed with him. Like lots sure, of Sure, but it's not just you him. don't get a billion dollars because somebody has nice abs. If you did, then the Zack Snyder movies would do better. I'll guarantee a lot more um, women went to see that than the Zack Snyder. Oh, it's partly, movies. but Guaranteed. like part of it is also that it's a bad I mean, Aquaman's a bad movie, but like my my eyes were never bored. Like yeah. it, whether from watching hot people in little clothing or like an octopus playing the drums or a guy riding a shark with a lance yeah. or like Julie Andrews voicing a kaiju at the bottom of the yeah. sea. Like I wasn't bored. Like I got to give him that. All right. We got to um, cut it off, Matt. So We're way go. over time. <laughs> you got to be careful when you ask Matt movie questions. Cause yeah, he... it's the movie question. You're going to get a lot. That's, <laughs> that's sure. kind of the rule. All right. That's it for game phase 249 on sifted games at sifted.net. Thanks to everybody who watched live. There's still a ton of you guys watching the stream after three plus hours. Uh, thanks to everybody who's watching on YouTube. If you could like the show, share the show, hit the bell. I don't think I've ever said that before until today. Ring, <laughs> smash the ring like button bell. and ring the bell, please. I think that helps. I, I really don't know. People say it helps. Uh, but here's, awesome. I don't know, here's one thing I don't understand. How come if I subscribe to someone on YouTube, why do you not just assume I want to be told I know, when they put weird. new stuff? Why is the bell separate from that? It's I don't get that. Because it's the algorithm just like, mm. it's like, oh, you may not want to watch this one because I don't know, dude. It makes no sense. I, But apparently it works. Like the bell means you'll get notified every time. So I decided mm-hmm. to say it for the first time ever. <laughs> Ring the bell. <laughs> if you're listening to the show out on any podcast service, literally we're on every podcast service, and people on YouTube... If you don't have time to like watch the show and you want to get it, like I think it actually goes up a day earlier on the podcast feeds than it does on YouTube. Uh, you and you're listening to us on Spotify or iHeartRadio or Apple or Google or wherever. Please head to Patreon.com/sifted. Kick us a couple bucks a month and help us make the show. Help us keep the show going. Uh, the show is supported 100 uh, percent by people who pledge to uh, our patron on Patreon. So appreciate everybody. All the Twitch Prime stuff. It all adds up. It all makes a difference for us. Uh, We'll be back next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Until then, take it easy. Game Face is up and out.